G'day and welcome to Lords of Pain Radio. I'm your host, Sir Sam. You can call me Sam, though. That's perfectly fine. And today we're here to celebrate the announcement of the LOP in-ring awards for 2019 and also the end of decade awards. So for the last two, for the final two weeks or so of 2019, uh, you would have seen a survey that was pinned to the front of Lords of Pain and you could jump in there and vote for the WWE, AEW and also Global Wrestler of the Year Award. Awards, uh, match of the year, all of those good things, and also the decade, the awards for the wrestler of the decade, the tag team of the decade, and the match of the decade. And it's my distinct pleasure now to go through and announce the winners of this. There will be a post, of course, popped up on Lords of Pain. I'll be putting that on there. It may even be up today if you jump on there and look at it, and you'll be able to see all of the fancy graphics and all of the top fives. But today we will concentrate and announce the winners the top threes actually and announce the winners as well and just a little bit of comment on there and of course I am joined by my partner in crime the implicate from Lords of Pain as Lords of Pain Radio and Lords of Pain columnist as well thanks very much for jumping on Imp how are you going? Thank you very much for having me on Sam it feels weird. It's always the other way around when we. <laughs> how do I how do I do with my first uh, my first ever intro? Would you would you give me a like an eight out of ten, nine out of ten? What would you what would you rate me? Oh no, I can't. I was about to say, oh, that <laughs> intro was fire, but no, <laughs> that's, that's topical. It's not. <laughs> Yeah, I live in Australia, for those who can't tell by the accent. Saying something is fire for me right now is a bit of a touchy subject, but I'll I'll let it slide. That's why why when I thought it, I was like, maybe think of something else, but I can't now. (laughs) It's too late. (laughs) Now to... To put you on the spot, Imp, um, before you before we get into the awards, uh, I wanted to quickly say, if you had to sum up the world of wrestling uh, mm. in j- just a couple of words, if actually, let's say in a tweet for last year, uh, if you had to sum it up in that, what would you put it as? What would you call, what would you say? Actually, the phrasing that I came up with for AEW's mid-card fits pretty well here, I feel like. I described it as wibbly-wobbly. <laughs> so it's, I, I have nicked that from Doctor Who. <laughs> it's yep. like times all wibbly wobbly. Yep. <laughs> Fantastic quote from Doctor Who. <laughs> but yeah, it um it had massive peaks, especially WWE, like massive peaks with mm, just yeah. like best stuff they've possibly ever done in some cases, met, mixed mm. with some of the absolute worst. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's it's such an up and down year. New Japan rebuilt. And like me and you, obviously, as who are now like massive New Japan fans, they rebuilt this year. Faith in Gado, in Gado we trust, <laughs> and that all paid off uh, in, by, at Wrestle Kingdom as well, and kind of proving the long-term dedication as well. It feels great to be gratified. Like <laughs> it's nice in terms of like elsewhere as well. Impact rebuilding with uh, the ROH doing the opposite. <laughs> yeah, ROH doing the opposite. That, that's what we both like wibbly wobbly. He <laughs> got one kind of rebuilding really well, and the other just sinking. <laughs> Uh, with uh, AEW as well, they're finding their footing, figuring out what they are against NXT, who has started knowing exa- exactly what they are. So one had a massive head start compared to the other, even though AEW is winning in the ratings. In terms of actual content quality, personally, NXT has mm. got the upper hand in that, but that's just because they've had years to figure out what their content is, what their image is, whilst AW still doesn't really know, and it will take a couple of years, I reckon. You don't find that quickly. You just find it by doing the thing and take some time. 
I I agree completely with what you said there. That's a really great phrase for it, actually. Really wobbly. And yeah, I think you're right. I I actually imagined AEW was going to be um, sort of like New Japan, but in America, and it totally wasn't that. It's totally not that. Um, but I'm really enjoying AEW, and New Japan, I think, has been my my number one this year. That's been my go-to. Well, we'll talk about, of course, these things more when we get to the brand of the year. But just for us personally, I guess for for me, New Japan at the start of the year, it was it felt weird. It was because I had been drawn into New Japan by the elite, and so it felt so weird when they weren't there. And I was a bit I was a bit nervous about the year when it was at New Beginning and there was no New Year's Dash and the New Beginning and there was no Elite. And, but they recovered and built up to, I reckon, greater highs than ever, particularly after Wrestle Kingdom last week. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's the quite a few people are feeling the wrestling fatigue from Wrestle Kingdom. Like, it's, oh, yeah. <laughs> it was yeah, massive. Weekend. It was like, it felt like a WrestleMania weekend where oh, you've yeah. got, you know, the, the big indie shows and then you've got the NXT TakeOver, which is the biggest TakeOver mm. of the year in the, the WrestleMania. Anyway, uh, we <laughs> will have to stop Dilly Dally though because we have lots of awards to get through uh, and Ooh. before we get started I do want to thank everyone who did vote we got um, around about 800 or 800 votes which is a fantastic fantastic response um, and I think gives us a really good segment of the Lords of Pain audience um, so I, I think it's pretty safe to say that we have a really good and really accurate results as to what people who read Lords of Pain really think um, as a majority <laughs> uh, pointing finger <laughs> yeah there's, there's a couple of We'll get to one award in particular. I'm not too happy about, but we'll 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 try and fo- we'll focus on the positives because it's it's the celebrating the best of the year, and we'll get stuck in. Um, we'll just go through the answers. I think the way that the questions were posed. So starting out in the the wrestlers of the year, so celebrating the people who who stepped into the ring or who provided commentary around it, and we'll we'll get started with the WWE Wrestler of the Year award. Uh, so that was obviously for the best wrestler of the year for WWE, and coming in third we had Becky Lynch who got 11.3% of the vote. Coming in second was Bray Wyatt slash The Fiend, who who had 17.1%. And uh, the big winner of this one, the same as the PWI Wrestler of the Year, Adam Cole, romping home with 28%. Pretty pretty clear winner there. What what do you think of that one, Imp? I can't really disagree, like especially if you go down to fourth place as well, which is Kofi Kingston. I can't really, especially on who was the most, I guess, influential for WWE in the entire year. Like with those four specifically, I can't think of yep. anyone else aside from personally. I put Daniel Bryan up there, but he was like elevating others and also working with crap when it comes to the Roman Reigns storyline. <laughs> <laughs> but he was fantastic in that, and like, you can see he was giving it his all. So his year was propping up other people, and he's still doing it today yeah. with Bray Wyatt. So I can see why I'm one of those people who would nerdily look at it, and like the whole storytelling thing, and be like, oh, Daniel Bryan's got to be up there. But then I can't argue with Becky Lynch, The Fiend, and Adam Cole. As in, all three have been so consistent all year round. Uh, Fiend, obviously, more creatively consistent than, I guess, in the ring, like Adam Cole. <laughs> I feel like that's why Adam Cole won. He had the consistency of the creative behind him, and then he was able to have amazing matches as well. Like he's had one of the best <laughs> years overall of a NXT WWE wrestler for quite some time. 
Yeah, Becky Lynch, of course, she uh, main evented, won the Royal Rumble and then main evented WrestleMania. Probably cooled off as the year went by. I also voted Daniel Bryan, actually, but I, I can't begrudge the, th- the people that have been voted in here. The Fiend as well, um, 17%. He's He was red hot at one point, absolutely red hot. You know, re- Bray Wyatt reinventing himself, re-debuting after Mania and um, really building himself up in something that was incredibly creative and really well received but yeah adam cole when we get to the matches of the year and you know the feud of the year and things like that he's a guy that pro- that will feature very prominently and, and just had an incredible year in the ring we spoke about nxt there's, there's no doubt nxt is probably the most beloved brand on the wwe and he was the centerpiece of nxt this year um so i'm, I'm not surprised by the result of this and it's a it's a really good reflection of how far this guy's come um from you know being a, a guy who was a big deal in ring of honor but not and and also featured in New Japan, but not the biggest name in the world of wrestling to coming through. And he's a guy with the world at his feet now. So congratulations to Adam Cole, a WWE wrestler for 2019. Um, we'll move on to tag team now. Um, so WWE tag team of the year coming in third. Actually a close one with this. So I'll actually go with fourth. Um, fourth was the Revival with 12.6% of the vote. Third, the Kabuki Warriors, Asuka and Kari Zane, 13.2%. The New Day coming in at 18 with 18.2% in at second. And coming in first, uh, the Undisputed Era sweep the pool, taking the tag team of the year as well. Uh, yeah, I, I wasn't surprised by this one either, honestly. As I said, NXT has been, it's, it's the brand that people love the most. And the Undisputed Era have been the centerpiece of it for this year. And they've had some great matches as well throughout the year. What what are your thoughts around that? You watch NXT a little bit more than me, Imp. Yeah, uh, Undisputed Era absolutely killed it. Maybe uh, like the the um, what were they called? The War Raiders, as I'm calling them. <laughs> Maybe they would have been on this list if they hadn't have been called up in the middle of the crazy. We're oh going to promise to be good now. Uh, version point three. <laughs> they did like five resets this year. <laughs> uh, which is kind of mental uh, so they were kind of slowly building and ready to kind of take that mantle a bit from Undisputed Era the only one I would say is from NXT UK Grizzled Young Veterans have been yes. amazing we'll yes. see that this weekend on NXT UK which I keep forgetting is happening because <laughs> I'm not able to watch it live so it's not in my figurings out yeah, sadly, uh, NXT UK didn't get a whole lot of looking in the votes. And it's probably, you know, last year I was a massive fan of 205 Live and 205 Live, and the performance from that got no votes yeah. in the voting <laughs> last year. I was, I was very sad about that. But NXT UK, this is, you know, a similar sort of thing. It's just not, yeah. you know, one of the more prominent brands. I, I think one thing from this I'd like to highlight would be the Kabuki Warriors. Oh, yeah. Um, Asuka and Kari Zane, they were, you know, after... Oscar lost the championship. Well, even after she won it at Royal Rumble, she was a non-factor in the mm. women's division. And, and Kari Zane as well was nowhere to be seen on the main roster. Uh, and those guys have carved... Like, I, they've carved out a really great niche for themselves. They are in feature positions. They main-evented the TLC pay-per-view. And with those belts on them, you know, they might not be the top of the card. And, you know, that might not be where people would really love to see Asuka in particular. I think that a lot of people would love to see her right up the top of the women's singles division. But you know what? Those guys were not on TV. They were not featured. And now they are. Um, so props to them and, and well-deserved coming in third. They were actually my pick for the, the tag team of the year, personally. 
I can't remember if I went with New Day or Undisputed Era, but that's first and second. I went with one of them. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And, and then, yeah. I mean, the New Day, the New Day, right? <laughs> like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't think we need to say a whole lot. Just service as usual from those guys. Yeah. Wildly entertaining, really good matches. And the bonus of, obviously, this is talking about tag teams, but mm. you can't remove what happened with Kofi Kingston completely from the equation when it comes to the New Day. Yeah. And like with the Kabuki Warriors as well, it's one of those where the titles... After the WrestleMania match, the titles were kind of like the consensus was, ah, this isn't going to last long, is it? <laughs> These are going to be yeah. like immediately forgotten about. They don't care about like immediately was the feeling uh, when they went on to the Iconics. Sorry, I Iconics. <laughs> it's too much. <laughs> uh, and then as well after WrestleMania, because we had uh, Asuka had an amazing match with Becky Lynch at the Royal Rumble. I've just re-watched it because I'm refreshing myself for because it's Royal Rumble season and as writers we're meant to remember things and I've not re-watched a lot of this decade <laughs> so I don't remember stuff but yeah so after that point like Asuka was with the uh, main event of Wrestlemania Asuka was the person that fell victim to it she was the piece forgotten about tossed to the side for the other stuff and after Wrestlemania it didn't get any better it was even more forgotten about Kyrie Sane got called up and it was yet another NXT call up where they had no plans for her so mm. she's done everything she can in NXT, but there was no plans on the main roster, so she got called up and then vanished. The Kabuki Warriors, they started off as with the paged stuff, and that was, cause I, think, I can't remember if that was after the wild card, or if that was during the wild card, because that summer was so crazy, it was kind of like, I can, un, I can forgive them not booking Kyrie Sane or coming up with stuff for them, because they can't even be consistent with their main, main stuff. <laughs> so, mm. Whilst that is crazy, I'm a little bit forgiving. The summer for me was so random that it felt like Kofi Kingston's vein had only just started by the time the summer was over because it was so chaotic. <laughs> it, was not, there was no, it was like it had been filler all the entire time. And then we just came back to the main story. But technically, he's been champion the entire time. So <laughs> it's like, oh. Uh. <laughs> but um, so when Kari Sane and Asuka came back, whenever it was, for me, it's when they went to Raw. So when they did that whole thing and they've got the distinct two different shows. October, that was it, yeah. Did that when they did that fifth soft reset <laughs> in October, and uh, the Kabuki Wise came back. They turned on Paige, they became heel, and slowly they changed their image. Now they've got their "We're baddie foreigners" <laughs> kind of stuff, but it works. It's really, really good. Like I'm not going to ignore. But they're not. They're not baddie foreigners. You know, like you might say. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know a, a stereotype from the. From the from the you know early nineties or, or late eighties is there they've got some edge to them they mm. you know like they wear Kari Zane wears a cap wears the the belt around her neck Asuka has the point they've got some swagger and I I really like mm. the Kabuki Warriors and I'm I'm really happy for those guys and it's good for the belts as well as you know as much as I love the Iconics because they're they come from my country <laughs> you're right the they did nothing with the belts. They they really and and these guys, the Kabuki Warriors, are doing what what they originally probably should have been doing for all summer, which is with on Bailey and Sasha Banks, um, which is being you know really great workers who can put on a great match with anyone. Um, yeah. So yeah, but but props ultimately, as I said, the undisputed era I mean, tag about them once. team <laughs> of the year. Uh, they're just so good. Yeah. Um, anyway, moving along, we do need to keep going, otherwise we're going to be here forever. <laughs> 
WWE Non-Wrestling Personality of the Year. Now, with this one, I, for all of the non-wrestling personalities, I do like to put the description on this. I don't want to get in the habit of talking about outside of the actual wrestling. So this isn't to do with, like, the media, for example, or people who have podcasts, you know, like in the outside of AEW and WWE. I don't want people voting for Dave Meltzer or Mr. Tito or even myself. Like, I, <laughs> I, I want it to be the like the commentators, the referees, the, the mouthpieces, the people who add the intangibles. And I think um, if, if we look at the top three, we've got a really great cross-section of that. So uh, we've got Renee Young came in third with 13.5, you know, was the commentator on Raw for a while and then took on the host of as the host of Backstage. Paul Heyman, um, the mouthpiece for the beast, Brock Lesnar, um, 20.1% of the vote. And winning it is Mauro Ranallo, who was also my pick on 25%. Um, I'm really I, – I love these results, and I love that Mauro Ranallo took it out um, with that getting a quarter of all of the votes. 24.3%, um, sorry. Uh, he just adds such a big fight feel uh, to the NXT calls. It's so – so different to the what I'd call the main roster commentaries, and it's it's very fitting that in the top five of this, there's no <laughs> no main roster existing main roster um, commentators uh, in, in that have been ranked. You know, Michael Cole doesn't get votes in this, and I think it's Maranalo is so beloved because he is who he is. He and he is a guy who has a big combat sports background he called pride he's called lots of massive boxing fights and he brings that experience and that gravitas to the nxt main event and i think he's a i think it's underrated even though he's getting props it's underrated how much he adds to those really well heralded nxt main events um so i'm really happy that he came in first here what are your thoughts on on the top three there imp uh, so even though i voted for Vene. Because, yep. uh, yeah, again, I guess he's the evolution. Best on interviewer. Back... I reckon she's yes. the best interviewer in yeah. wrestling. Yeah, she, as in, you can tell when she first arrived within like the first couple of months, you're like, she gets it. Like, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, she's not one of the, you know, the stereotypical robo backstage people yeah. for the WWE. She's, she has been able to inject her personality into that. Yeah, like even, even Charlie Caruso, who I would say Charlie Caruso seemingly also gets it, but she's got a lot more, I guess, America TV presenter traits about her, um, which as a foreigner, some of those t- tweak it, they hurt, they uh, they feel apparent a little bit, but um, Renee Young, she's so natural at it that it just feels like an actual conversation rather than, I'm here presenting, <laughs> type of thing that Charlie Caruso does. Uh, but yeah, and I was all, I was I actually liked her on commentary. Like, it became a thing on, uh, like you saw it on Twitter and lots of comments on LP itself of Renna Young's commentary was, uh, they didn't like it, she turned into the, oh, commentator. And I was like, what do you mean mm. turned into? That third role, whoever is in it, that's what they do. <laughs> Rene is no different because she's been told what to say. <laughs> so I, I never understood that criticism. Like she doesn't say anything. That's not her fault. <laughs> so, again, I'm being a bit more nerdy, kind of like understanding the actual production behind it. I thought she did a really good job, and it's more. It's not her fault in terms of the way they produce commentary. I. <laughs> I think she also suffered badly when she first jumped on the desk with the Dean Ambrose heel turn, uh, yes. um, because for whatever reason, for some insane reason, they decided to include her in that. And she didn't know what to say. And it looked really bad. Yeah, um, totally it, it was a really, like it was a really black mark on her early. And I think 
that's part, partly stuck, unfortunately. But as you can see, like she got 14% of the vote. Mm. So obviously people have moved on from that or at least appreciate the other skills that she brings. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Paul Heyman is Paul Heyman. You've, I feel like <laughs> I've heard his one promo about oh, I a, them. a thousand yeah. times. I, I uh, skip but them now. I, I there's can't. no <laughs> doubt that people love what he does. And I think also part of uh, the fact that Raw has, you know, uh, Raw seems to be the, be, uh, the, the main roster well, I don't know, he's NXT main roster now. Out of SmackDown and Raw, Raw seems to have done a really good job at sort of booking itself into a, a bit of a, a a good space. And I think Paul Heyman's probably attracted a bit of the vote for that, if I'm being truthful. Even though your people aren't meant to be voting about that, according to my, the, you know, the, the, the categories that I lay out. <laughs> but yeah, congratulations to Mauro Ronaldo. Mamma mia, he won, he won, he won it. Um, and so he gets the non-wrestling personality of the year. Now, the next one up, WWE Rookie of the Year. This was the most dominant of all of the votes across their thing. And I don't think anyone is going to have, have to, to think about it too hard at all to work out who, who gets it. Um, and it's quite fitting um, that this particular performer who wins this is a dominant wrestler in yeah. general. <laughs> I will go from the bottom. So Ang- Angel Gaza. I actually don't know how to pronounce his name. It's I'm sorry. Angel. 7%. It's Angel. Angel Gaza. Yeah. Humberto Carrillo no. came in with 20.3%. Um, you know, the high flyer. He's, he's made a really good spot for himself and mm. um, it's great that's happened. But 50, 54% of the vote, over half of the vote, the most dominant, we're, most, the most, the highest percentage of any of the votes that we have. Um, in these voting coming in first is Volta. Mm. He he debuted in at the end of NXT UK Blackpool. He immediately punted Joe Coffey over the over the <laughs> <laughs> over the ropes. Did a face off with Pete Dunne. His first takeover match. He won the UK Championship in what I thought at the time was one of the matches of the. Uh, weekend at WrestleMania opposite Pete Dunne and he has just gone from strength to strength he even managed to get a main roster feature position in Survivor Series and was part of that um was part of that really well received uh Survivor Series elimination match uh yeah this is a guy who has the world at his feet uh and absolutely deserving winner of rookie of the year in mm. Tell me about Walter. What, what, <laughs> are you scared, scared of him as I am? <laughs> oh, well, I've had time to get used to him from the European scene. Uh, and for me, because uh, it's quite interesting watching Imperium, like the whole stable around Walter kind of form and debut. Because like we were kind of like us nerdy people, like me, me and Miz fan, we were like, oh, wouldn't it be kind of cool if Ring Camp from, were in NXT? <laughs> that would be, be so cool. And then Imperium formed, so which... Pretty much is Ringkampf. <laughs> it's just it's the same stable from WXW in Germany. They've just done the exact same gimmick, the exact same thing, but it's really really good. <laughs> so it's, I'm I'm in that boat of I'm really happy seeing uh, people get excited over something that I thought was great, but because it was in an indie in Germany, no, like, so many people just didn't care. <laughs> and uh, now Mizfan can uh, feel uh, I've forgotten the word, but he can feel good. He can feel happy. Feel good that. Uh, he wasn't wasting words by talking about how fantastic the ring camp staple was in uh, WXW because they've done the exact same thing in NXT UK and now the wider world knows about it. <laughs> it's just... It's funny. Yeah. 
Ms. Fan is a guy on our in the in the columns forum and also does the Global Revolution, uh, and he was one of the presenters for All Elite, uh, all about All Elite earlier this year. He is a guy who is constantly ahead of the curve. I he told me about Walter at the end of 2017. He was blogging a lot about Walter in his top matches for 2017. Uh, so you know, <laughs> it's a, it's a, at least a year ahead of the curve. And same with he, um, I was text mess i was twittering about uh shingo takagi earlier this mm. year and he was like yeah shingo was great in dragon gate i'm glad he's finally getting his props just another wrestler that miss <laughs> fan was ahead of the curve on yeah. so the yeah. the thing i like about walter though uh for me just to talk specifically about him is there's a lot of big men out there that you know they they get pops and things by doing flips and mm. you know there's and that's a certain criticism i'd level it wrestling sometimes nowadays you have small men wrestling like big men and big men wrestling like high flyers and walter is nothing like that i love that walter is just he is a brute everything about him is big and powerful and even when he does what would potentially be like a high flying move so like a shotgun like a a shotgun drop kick for example or a you know a, a frog splash he does it with such weight and force and in such an inelegant way that it looks perfect. Like his shotgun drop kicks look like cannons. They would look like they would send you absolutely hurtling out of the ring. And I love that about him. I love that he is big. He is lumbering and he has a, just a huge presence about him. And it makes, it makes his matches better for it because he, you know, he has that presence. He has that feeling about him of weight to everything he does. Yes, one hundred percent. And I, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, I didn't really talk about his actual WWE run that much. <laughs> yes, he, it, what you just said, he's been so damn dominant. It's uh, been uh, an absolute joy to watch him when he's popped up. NXT UK and Tour Five Live have both fallen off my watch list. Like with the current schedule with AEW as well. Like when the hell am I going to watch this stuff? Like <laughs> I can't. Uh, watched it Stop all. watching Raw and SmackDown, him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ricky from Looking Closer told me, yeah, you can drop SmackDown, like, within my first month. <laughs> I was just, yeah, they can drop that. But, um, yeah, I uh, I don't have the time, like, especially with the column as well. Like, the only way I could fit it in is dropping the column. Because that, like, you, you, you know this, like, I don't know if people realise how much time penning these columns takes. Like, it's not a quick bash out your brain kind of thing. Yeah. Like we're talking hours here to get the, especially my if something as long as the stuff that words. we're yeah, like me and you recently we're just putting out four thousand word stuff as well <laughs> so we're not doing tiny things um, we are putting out quite long columns they take quite a long time to put a, together so there is no way in hell I have any time for Tour Five Live or NXT UK I make time for the New Japan bigger shows I don't have time for the Road Twos anymore which kind of sucks because I used to watch them out at some point but. No, it's keeping it strong style. <laughs> They'll tell me about the voters. Uh, but that means I've not seen as much Walter as I would like, but I have watched him, obviously, every time he's been on NXT, every time he's popped up on a takeover. Uh, but I know him already, so he's not somebody where I needed to be sold on his character because I already know it from PWG, from WXW, from Progress. So I know how good he is. <laughs> and to see him top this list is humbling my heart, even if we know <laughs> the real rookie of the year is Shota Umino. <laughs> but Walter, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Shota, good old shooter. Anyway, <laughs> we'll have to move along. Uh, so moving 
changing promotions now. Um, as I said, we're talking wrestlers. At uh, the moment, we will get to back to WWE and talk matches and feuds in a tick. Um, but AEW Wrestler of the Year. This was another one that was pretty clear cut, really. Uh, coming in third, you had Cody Cody Rhodes uh, with 12% of the vote. That was low, considering I thought he would snag more potentially. Second, John Moxley, 20.7%. And no surprise to see Le Champion coming in first, 45.7%. A lot of people had questions about Jericho going in, being, you know, the cha- the first champion for this new promotion. I think every single one of them he has answered. He has been in career best form almost. Um, I didn't see him live. I've watched a lot of his, pre- his old matches. Um, I didn't see him live going through. I think this run is some of the best work that he has ever done. Um, putting younger guys over and bringing... You know, putting having some amazing feuds with Cody uh, and also Kenny Omega earlier this year. It's easier to forget, easy to forget that one. That was the first main event for AEW, and then of course this one that's been building with John Moxley, um, who came in second. Y- your thoughts on AEW, the AEW results, Imp? Really can't argue. It's one of those where I think about like who was like, it, like who really was the best, and I'm kind of with you that I feel like Cody might have had a bit more of the vote if. Uh, I guess because if he won the championship, maybe I was also thinking if he'd beaten Chris Jericho, I think he would have probably yeah done I, a bit more. Yeah, I say also LOP is still pretty WWE first, so I yep. wouldn't be surprised if uh, the other two got the bigger votes just because they're more recent WWE names. Uh, mm. Cody, uh, yeah, that, that's that's kind of what I think. But I also can't argue as well because the way that they've booked themselves like the folk like Kenny Omega they've purposely booked themselves to struggle and be broke like the the idea of the elite uh, being broken down to then later being built back up but they're now they've been built they've been broken down and they're now in the place of what are the consequences of that because they're telling you the story long term it's not broken down mm. and then team huddle and then break, bring back up like no it's not a it's not an American football movie <laughs> like no <laughs> this is it's long-term storytelling, like we've seen with New Japan, where they are—they've been broken down. They don't just bounce back; they now face the consequences of that struggle. Mm. Uh, but that also means that they are not putting out like constant matches of the year because the story is they are not on peak form, which is—it's really weird. I'm not sure creatively whether I agree or not. Long-term, they are hopefully going to that place where it will get a massive pop and they will return to a peak, and it builds everybody else around them in the meantime. Uh, but obviously, that means they've not started off on the hottest foot. It's a really, it's a weird one. I don't really know how to assess it. <laughs> so the way that I see it, the way that I see it is they've used Jericho and Moxley very well. Oh yeah. Um, because with, I guess at the moment they're building their audience. They're trying to get attention from people who previously either didn't watch, uh, have either fallen off the WWE bandwagon, watched WWE, or have completely fallen out of wrestling. Us diehards love Kenny Omega. We know who he is. We love the Young Bucks. We know who they are. Even Cody, for you know, to a degree, you know, his last name carries a lot of weight in the industry. But the two biggest guys they've got, the two, you know, most well-known people they've had who've been in the highest position in the biggest wrestling organization in the world, John Moxley and Chris Jericho, they have been at the forefront of the early shows. Um, that that shows in the voting here. It shows in you know who's getting championships, who's getting big segments, uh, and I think they're using those guys to to bring them in. Look, hopefully, I I love the elite. I hope that 
this is a plan for a big, bigger story involving the elite. Uh, and I hope that, you know, these guys like Kenny Omega get introduced to a larger audience because at his peak, there's no one that wrestles in the world like Kenny Omega. Um, and he hasn't really had a chance to demonstrate that as much. I don't feel like this year as he did, you know, say in 2018 as uh, in new Japan or even before then. But I think Bust out a little bit of the bubbly. Chris Jericho, yes. <laughs> 45.7%. Who would have thought that he would be doing so well? Um, he is nearly 50 years old, and he is one of the best wrestlers in the world right now. That's absolutely phenomenal by him. Um, continues to reinvent himself at an age where most wrestlers seem to be pretty happy to just cruise along with what they've always done. So great job, Chris Jericho. Deserved winner here. Moving to the tag team of the year, which was an interesting one for me. There was three big names in this one, and they all traded the lead at a different point. Coming in third, and I think this is an absolute upset, the Young Bucks, 19.7%. Um, they came in third. Um, despite being EVPs of the company and um, the, you know, probably the most heralded tag team going into AEW. They ended up third here. Coming in second, the Lucha Brothers, 25.7% of the vote. And just pipping the Lucha Brothers is the inaugural AEW tag team champions, SCU, um, taking that out. What do you think of this, Imp? Is this an upset? Uh, I'm not really sure because again, SEU are the tag team champions. <laughs> they, have been, they have been having really good matches. Uh, I, I, it's, I, I assumed it would be SEU, Lucha Brothers, or Young Bucks. Uh, with as well, Young Bucks haven't had. They've had the match with Lucha Brothers were obviously insane, uh, and they had their kind of brawl with Santana Ortiz, which was like a really fun opener. But again, then they've not been going over. <laughs> they've been the the story is that they have been losing, and I wouldn't be surprised if the fact they are EVPs kind of fits into this a little bit, because there is also that narrative of AW only exists for the elite to put themselves over. So I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if people don't vote for them because of that, even though like evidence proves otherwise. As I've just said, like the other reason they're not getting votes properly is because they're not putting themselves over. <laughs> it's just kind of they're purposely breaking themselves down to build everyone else. But, you know, the end game is they'll hopefully be more over because of it in the long term. Uh, so maybe, I wouldn't be surprised. But but SEU are definitely deserving. They have been fantastic. Yep. I'm trying to think of like, before AEW as well, uh, how hot they were on the Indies in Ring of Honor. Uh, they were putting on uh, amazing work, uh, all three of them. Uh, they've, they're like the trusted veterans of the division and they're such a wise, like, like Chris Jericho, I guess, for the title scene, like a, a really trusted champion to start everything off and build around. Uh, That's exactly what I was going to say. Mm. Uh, so the Lucha Brothers and the Young Bucks have probably had the most high-profile matches out of the tag team division, but the SCU, you know, they were the they were the tag teams that kicked off AEW uh the the first the double or nothing of course there was the buy in the pre-show um they the SCU kicked it off though um and they have been the anchor of the tag team division they've been at the center of the tag team division you know putting over other teams but also you know they're the cha they're the inaugural champions making sure um that the division is built up in a really solid way they're not the most spectacular team you know I really rate Scorpio Sky but Frankie Kazarian and Christopher Daniels high-flying days, you know, real high-flying days are somewhat behind them, but they are just 
absolute veterans mm. who know exactly what to do, how to get it done in the ring. And I think, you know, a great deserved winners here, deserved winners of the championship, great anchors of the division. And of course we should probably mention the Lucha brothers. They've been a really exciting team to, to sort of see. And I'd really like to see them actually not feature at all in the tag team <laughs> of the year next year, maybe in the singles division, but that's a, uh, that's for 2020, not for 2019. So congratulations, SCU moving along um, to AEW non-wrestling personality of the year. This one, not so surprising, but uh, I didn't even, I didn't given even... the LOP, given the LOP demographic. <laughs> I um, I didn't even see Jake Hager on the nominees. That's why I was just laughing. Because <laughs> he's on a non-wrestling personality. Yeah, <laughs> so this was, this was really close, actually. So I'll actually go from fifth so with 11.2 percent of the vote excalibur aubrey edwards came in with only with 12.8 percent of the vote jake hager scraped um 13.7 percent so the former jack swagger tony shivani 13.9 percent splitting second and third was eight, second and uh. fourth sorry was eight votes so when i say every vote counted when i was tweeting out all that stuff saying get your votes in every vote counts i was not joking there was eight votes splitting fourth and second in this one mm. but coming in first it's good old jr no surprise here kind of like Mara Ronaldo does was we saying with Mara Ronaldo in nxt i think jr lends a big main event feel um, to AEW. He's copped his share of criticism, some of it right, some of it probably wrongly. Um, But when it comes to the main events, when it comes to the big matches, Jim Ross just lends such an air of authority, of gravitas, and just knows how to get a main event over, knows how to anchor a show. He was the perfect person for AEW to get. They could not have got a better person um, to helm the commentary booth for their, you know, their first stretch on TV. Oh yeah, totally agree. Uh, In terms of the commentary booth, they are, they're such a, if it's weird, it feels like a step up from WWE in terms of like the actual talent they've got and the way that they, uh, the way that the commentary works. Uh, obviously, they got, they're working out the kinks because AEW is still figuring out what they want, never mind the commentators figuring out how they gel together. So I wouldn't be surprised if every week they're getting new ideas thrown at them for how they're meant to gel. So, again, that wouldn't surprise me. But, of course, there is the looseness as well. Compared to WWE, Like the reason the main commentators get on your nerves is not their skill because Michael Cole, when he's not had someone in his ear, he's really good. <laughs> There's a reason he's had this position. But on Raw, he's unbearable. <laughs> on SmackDown, he's unbearable. That's not his fault. AEW has a lot looser production. It has its pros, it has its cons. Uh, JR's a fantastic example of that. And as the anchor with so much experience, he works really, really well. Um, obviously, the biggest con being he doesn't know what to say when commentating Japanese female wrestlers. He's he struggles so much. He's, he's put his foot in with just women in general. He's put his foot in yeah. a couple of times. <laughs> like he obviously he's because he's been commentating for so long for so many decades. Obviously, it makes sense that certain ways of describing things will become more used than others. And obviously, now he can't use a lot of those. <laughs> so he's kind of like with, uh, with Reho. Yeah. He just he picked that ninety five pounds and right. he's stuck to that. Yeah. Every time she does something, ninety five pound, ninety five pounds. 95 pounds. <laughs> 
<laughs> just sticks to that. That's a, that's a safe road to yeah, travel safe, now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to accidentally make a racism or misogyny. <laughs> no, yeah. stick with the weight. Uh, One of the things that I love about... Mm. Sorry, keep going. I was say, uh, personally, I think their biggest get, their best get is Excalibur. Uh, again, he's somebody who I've Locked heard of commentary beforehand with PWG, which was his company. Uh, and I've said it before, him and Chuck Taylor, or Chucky e. T, if I'm best friends, they, those two on commentary together, when it happens, they are dangerous. <laughs> they are, they are, um, watch Battle of Los Angeles from like the mid middle of this decade where those two are doing commentary for it. It's so funny. <laughs> it's so entertaining. Uh, I don't know if they'd have uh, that freedom, but yeah. But Excalibur for me is their biggest get, especially as he's the one who distances the feel of commentary from WWE. He's the one who really makes it feel different, and his knowledge as well is a massive get. Not just wrestling, but also culture, as in the yeah. video games world, like where JR especially is, what is this bollocks? It's kind of like, this is amazing. And of course, he's the one who knows all of the wrestlers, which is also proving as a bit of a con, where... Like we saw this, he's week. learning a little bit how to how to do things. Yeah, like the the introduction of the but it's he's he's improving though. Like the oh, introduction definitely. of the butcher and the blade. Oh my god, he absolutely fluffed that. But now this week with the Japanese death Luther. mattress arrived completely. <laughs> Luther, yeah. he didn't immediately jump to his name. Yeah, you could kind of tell he knew who it was, but he didn't immediately say his name, which was you know it was it's a start. And it's I think a, it's a step. Yeah. Jim Ross potentially taking him under his wing. Obviously, Excalibur is a fantastic commentator, but just, mm. you know, going to final finishing school with Jim Ross, he, long-term, I think you're, you're bang on there. And also, shout-outs to Aubrey Edwards. She was my pick. She is the best referee in the game at the moment. Um, but we've got to move on. So I had to make a decision this year. Previously, we've done WWE and non-WWE, which seemed to fit when WWE was the only real giant organization. With AEW coming along, I decided to split WWE and AEW, and then I just lumped everything else in under global slash indie. Of course, there's some much bigger companies. You know, New Japan is owned by a multi uh, a multi billion dollar company in Japan. You know, and there's it's going up against indie shows that are owned by, you know, gosh knows. <laughs> but we've got to we've got to stop somewhere. So we've gone global slash indie wrestler of the year. Coming in third, this was fantastic. I did not expect this, but fantastic nonetheless. Tessa Blanchard, nine point four percent. Coming in second, Will Ospreay, 11.9%. And then coming in first place, my boy, John Moxley, yeah. <laughs> 24.8%. Yes. I'll be honest, I was. I, I, this may be a tad unearned. This may be a tad on his, um, you know, knowing on his brand name, but, you know, I'm not going to argue about it. When he d- announced that he was leaving WWE, it was incredibly crushing for those who don't know. Don't know how if you're listening to LOP. <laughs> but I'm a massive John Moxley slash Dean Ambrose fan. He's been my favorite wrestler since Daniel Bryan got injured in 2014. Uh, and hearing he was leaving was brutal, uh, really, really rough. But then he, the minute he was out, he released that movie and he has been on a tear since. I think at one point he was probably the most, um, the hottest wrestler in the world uh, at, after he announced that he was leaving he turned up at AEW double or nothing and then middle of the week he cut that pod he did that podcast with Chris Jericho and then finished the week fighting Juice Robinson at Best of Super Juniors that was one of my favorite times as a wrestler 
Uh, sorry, as a wrestling <laughs> fan. <laughs> and Moxley has been amazing in New Japan. He's had fantastic matches all through the G1 and um, then surprised everyone showing up in the road to Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, sorry, at the end of um, the World Tag League um, to, to face off against Lance Archer at Wrestle Kingdom early this week. Oh, sorry, last week. <laughs> now. Uh, and um, But also coming in second, Will Ospreay, of course, had a phenomenal year as a wrestler uh, and Tessa Blanchard. I honestly haven't watched any impact, but this was a nice surprise. Yeah. So uh, my views on the list, John Moxley, what had an amazing year, uh, especially uh, before he went to AW, did some really great stuff on the Indies as well. Uh, yep. A match with Darby yep. Allen did the round. So he was, uh, yeah, he was having a fantastic year. His G1 run was fantastic. He really established himself in there. Uh, but, no. <laughs> no, no way. <laughs> He's nowhere near my top three. <laughs> Which, to me, <laughs> that says more about how fantastic this year has been. And it also says to me, mm. uh, yeah, most people who voted this just didn't watch. <laughs> They've got, they just didn't watch yeah. it. <laughs> and uh, so, for me, Will Os- but Will Ospreay being second, for me, yes, 100%. He's, if he's not number one, he's number two. For me, he's number one. He had not just a phenomenal year, but one of the best years of this decade entirely. And I'm talking like the consistency of Hiroshi Tanahashi saving the company. Kazuchika <laughs> Okada's amazing title run. Well, legendary title run, which makes him, for me, spoilers later on for my opinions for the decade results. <laughs> but he's, uh, uh, yes, so high though. For me, um, Will Ospreay had the best year out of everybody. Mostly, It's mostly because of in-ring consistency. It wasn't just throwing out match of the year contenders every now and then. Like, best of Super Juniors, like, every single match of his was, like, four and a half and above, which is mental. <laughs> that consistency is insane. Then he went to G1 Climax and, again, pardon the pun, elevated himself even more along with Shingo. It was amazing. And, of course, he started off this year, uh, which technically doesn't count, <laughs> but he had the uh, amazing match of Hero Mood to kind of cap it all off as well. Uh, for me, he feel, he feels like an absolutely massive star, like a country in the making as well. So for me, it's no question that Will Ospreay is number one. Uh, Tessa Blanchard is right up there as well, 100% deserved. She's been amazing. Credit Sammy Callahan as well has been the counterpart. He's been he's been the vicious heel to every amazing baby face pop she's gotten. Kind of thing. He's playing a massive part in that. Uh, he's one of my heels of the year. Uh, but I've got to give that one to Jay White. <laughs> but he's, mm. uh, yeah, he's uh, he's really helped us. Blanchard get to that next level of, of feeling like a main eventer who should win the championship. And for me, that says everything. It's still in this age. I don't feel like uh, it's actually shifted where fans are like, no, intergender wrestling is what it should be. There's massive pushback. But Tessa Blanchard is achieving it so well, as she's doing it so well, that... It's like no, she needs to win the title. Like that proves. And isn't how it awesome that? Isn't it awesome that global indie wrestler of the year third Tessa Blanchard, WWE wrestler of the year third Becky Lynch? Mm. Um, yeah, it's just if you told me at the start of the decade what would happen for women's wrestling yeah. knockout, there was of course in the indies and in Japan, women's wrestling has always been a big deal and it's always been well done. But in the WWE, for the way that they have come, that is absolutely one of the best stories of the of the um of the decade is how far women's wrestling has come in terms of acceptance across the broader fan base 
uh, and also, um, you know, the the women going out there and becoming the biggest stars of, in different companies that they're in. Like Tessa Blanchard, she's arguably the biggest star in Impact. I don't watch a lot of Impact, but I know that she is one of the, the biggest stars they've got. Um, so props to Tessa Blanchard, props to Will Ospreay, props to Shingo Takagi, who got my vote. Um, but congratulations, John Moxley. Oh, you won't get any arguments from me about that 24.8% <laughs> global slash indie wrestler of the year. Dean Ambrose goes rogue. <laughs> and moving along to tag team of the year. Coming in third, uh, we've got Villain Enterprise, 14.1%. Global Indie Tag Team of the Year, that is. Coming in second, Gorillas of Destiny um, with 16.7%. And coming in first, the Briscoes with 26.5%. Um, Im- tell me about the Briscoes. I haven't watched a lot of their stuff this year. Um, personally, I kind of feel like, especially in America and Japan as well, it was a pretty weak year for tag teams. There wasn't really much. There's not really much buzz around the tag team scene. Really, no, the most I tend it, to agree. Like the most it got was when it was oh Dunkzilla and the other guy outside of AEW. <laughs> yeah, oh, what's Dunk? Dunk? It's Dunkzilla and who's the other guy? Oh Fletcher, that's it. Um, I can't remember their actual tag team name. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Oh, the, the Aussie Aussie Open. That's it. Um, yep. Yeah. When, when Aussie Open I won the ref, <laughs> when they won the ref pro title, and then they, oh sorry, tournament uh, uh, with circumstances, and then they challenged whoever the champions were. It'll be God, obviously, champions all year, Matt. <laughs> so um, yeah, for me that was kind of like for me that's when it felt the hottest, and then around that time as well, you had the Birds of Prey forming, and they were Will Osprey and Robbie Eagles. Uh, joining forces with Robert Eagles, turning on Bullet Club, joining Chaos, forming the Birds of Fate, having amazing matches. Uh, I want to say there that the, the peak one was against ELP and Ishimori, I want to say. Uh, and amazing They match. came in fourth for the record, 13.7% just behind mm. Villain Enterprise. And for me, outside, for me, WWE has had the best year. Well, a, WWE and AW, they have presented the best tag team wrestling. Mm. Uh, the indie scene is the thing that's paid the price. I've not felt yep. much buzz at all. Again, yeah, I'm not I as think glued the... in though. So I know there is stuff there. I know Rich, uh, the boys on One Nation Radio, where uh, they talk about s- some tag teams, like they are like people who are going to be the hottest thing. But this year, uh, there wasn't really much. And for me, the Briscoes winning is more. It's more like a thank you. They're a name. Champi- yeah, like a thank you championship reign at the end of the career. Yep. <laughs> where it's just like it's more yeah, like and... recognition. The Gorillas of Destiny, I'll, I'll give them a shout-out for doing what they could um, with the New Japan belts. They didn't have a lot of challenges in New Japan. New Japan's tag team's division this year has been completely barren, except for those guys. It's basically been those guys and whoever else gets thrown in there. Um, they they did what they could um, with you know cutting promos and things like that, and they had some barn burners against the Briscoes from all accounts. I haven't seen them myself. Villain Enterprise, of course, have got such a strong branding, such a strong name. PCO and um, PCO, Brody King, Marty Scurll, and and Flip Gordon. They're the three biggest, star, the four biggest stars in Ring of Honor, without doubt, um, and easily the biggest faction in Ring of Honor, without doubt. Um, God knows why Marty Scurll isn't the wasn't the Ring of Honor champion at some point this year. We won't get into that though. Um, but yeah, the, I, I'm I'm happy for the Briscoes here. Congratulations, they you know well worn veterans of the of the the American and global indie circuit. Great for them. Congratulations to all these guys. But I think you're right ultimately. Uh, moving along, 
I don't really want to spend a lot of time on this one, global slash indie non-wrestling personality of the year. I'll go over the results and we'll give a quick, just a, a summary, I guess. I'll, I'll just talk through it. So Josh Matthews came in third. Actually, I'll, I'll chuck fourth in because I love it. Fourth was Red Shoes Odo, <laughs> New Japan referee, 9.4%. Uh, Josh Matthews came in third, 11.3%. Of course, Impact commentator. Don Callis, Impact commentator, New Japan, former New Japan commentator by the seams of it. Now 16.9%. And winning it, NWA commentator Jim Cornette. Now, I, I did put a thing on this that this is about what happens in the in the promotions, and there's no doubt that Jim Cornette is an amazing commenta- color commentator, um, which just makes it really sad that we have to put a cat, put a star against his name and say we don't want to talk about him because he has proven to be a really despicable human, to be honest. Um, and... He's an amazing commentator. I I really wish he would apologize for the things that he has said, but the more he's dug his heels in, the more that it has told me about the kind of person he is. Um, And I don't want to see him in this again next year. Uh, But, you know, this is a fan voted. So congratulations, Jim Cornette, (laughs) 25.3% of the vote. Um, did you want to say anything there, Imp, or should I move along? I feel like I want to. I'd rather take the. Because I, there, are, there are reasons people have voted for Jim Cornette. None of them will have yeah. anything to do with this year, personally. Yep. Uh, but also, for, and I, I don't got, think. I think a lot of them have got to do with the wrong reasons as well. To be quite oh, frank. Yeah. And, there'd be not everyone. Not everyone would do that. As I said, he's a fantastic hmm. commentator. Probably the best color commentator in wrestling. Um, but. Yeah. yeah, I'd rather. There's a few names I do want to shout out, like outside. Yep. <laughs> just like I feel like more names deserve recognition, but this is also kind of showing me that just it's a it's the WWE bubble of LOP in a way. Uh, yeah, obviously it's like uh, I was really nervous, like, but, but behind the scenes stuff, I was really nervous to start posting New Japan stuff, which is why I came up with an idea when I first started on the main page of like I do a really happy positive column talking about Raw and is slowly going to madness with the sheer <laughs> awful quality of the show and then jump to something else. So I was kind of nervous, but then I uh, circumstances changed, so I jumped to New Japan and wrote about Vessel Kingdom like that same month. So uh, I got the, I kind of ripped the band-aid off, ripped the plaster off, <laughs> just <laughs> to do it. Um, just because LOP is, for me, because uh, I wasn't watching during the Monday Night Wars, LOP has always been WWE and end of like now and then you'd see indie posts but they didn't get many views to the point where the indie post stopped and it's, they've been a WWE centric news site for so long <laughs> that it doesn't surprise me that the um kind of wider wrestling world isn't really by the people who visit the site isn't really kind of uh been accepted yet uh so i i kind of felt like uh, my kind of goal was to push other wrestling companies by just talking about them hopefully they get onto the news feeds mm. and things and that happened like <laughs> i'm so happy that it's it's no it's like lop is now wrestling it's not just wwe mm. uh, um, it's very true and I, I i don't know if i was part of that <laughs> but i think that's so. i think that's also broadly more reflective of the world of wrestling oh, in general over yeah. the last decade um it's wwe's stranglehold even notwithstanding AEW's rise, mm. oh, a- yeah. WWE's stranglehold on the industry and news and the culture has certainly slipped over the last decade. There's mm. Even without AEW, there was you know, a lot more coverage of things outside of it um, over mm. the last decade than before. So uh, a couple of shout-outs. First, 
Tiger Hitori, Hitori, bloody hell. Amen, amen, yeah. amen. Uh, he retired this, uh, I think he was advertised at Wrestle Kingdom or a New Japan what. referee. Yeah, yeah. Uh, an absolute legend uh, in uh, uh, New Japan uh, world. He, yeah, so he's retired. He also did a little bit of commentary on one of the US tours and I loved him. <laughs> it was, I don't know if he was good, but I loved him. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um, so a shout out to him. Uh, also, I guess the other two commentators in, uh, King Gino. And uh, Chris Charlton as well, both. Oh, Rocky. Yeah. Because they're in Rocky as well. Uh, he, uh, all three of them were, have been really, yep. really good all year. And Wrestle Kingdom to me is like, ah, proof to me a four man booth can work when each person has a distinct role and purpose for being there. Yep. Uh, yeah. I, uh, yeah, so really, very, all of those are so shout outs there. Uh, Kevin Kelly got votes on here. He came fifth. So, yep. uh, shout outs to him as well. Like, one of the best in terms of what New Japan, the way they tell their story, Kevin Kelly is perfect. <laughs> it's just yep. such a perfect fit. Uh, also, I don't know. I want to say this counts, but Jim Smallman, the uh, m- the man behind Progress Wrestling, or one of the men behind Progress Wrestling, uh, he's now stepped away from Progress Wrestling to move to Greater Pastures, as in you know, uh, with Progress's ties to WWE, it doesn't take a like a massive leap to figure out what that means. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> it's a huge gamble on his part, obviously. But yeah, he's moving on to a great So a shout out to him for all of the work he's done with Progress over the course of the years. Um, obviously, like the biggest casualty as of late, um, the UK scene is not fine. As in, company, so many promotions have closed. Uh, but even Progress Wrestling isn't as hot as it was. But like, kudos to like the fact that WWE were even interested. You, uh, I, mm. we owe a lot to Jim Smallman in terms of that happening. Because the names you've got out there, he's put in so much work. Uh, yeah. The fact that WWE felt the need to come in and kill everything yeah. off means that something good was probably happening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just talk, talk to oh. uh, talk to Leaf, talk to Ryan. He'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> like everything. Uh, other, let's let's yeah. let's keep moving imp i i love those shout outs and heartily endorse all the the um the new japan commentary booth as well best booth in the in wrestling in my mind um but moving along um we're on to the matches so we're at a third of the way through <laughs> um wwe singles matches of the year coming in third Adam Cole versus Johnny Gargano, two out of three falls at TakeOver Toronto. Got 12.5% of the vote. Coming in second, Adam Cole versus Johnny Gargano, TakeOver New York, two out of three falls. Got 13.8%. Coming in first, uh, Kofi Kingston versus Daniel Bryan at mm. WrestleMania. Look, let's. there's two things I'd say about this. Firstly, um, if... Adam Cole and Johnny Gargano hadn't split the vote over three, um, three matches. They would have got something like 34% of the vote easily would have won. Unfortunately, they split their vote. So fans of Adam Cole and Johnny Gargano couldn't pick what they had. And so Kofi Kingston and Daniel Bryan won. And that made me extraordinarily happy because (laughs) this was one of the great WrestleMania moments. Um, WrestleMania over the year, over the last few years has been a bit rough. Let's be honest. And this was such an amazing thing to happen at WrestleMania. Everything is represented from all of the racial stuff with Kofi Kingston being the first African-born wrestler to um, win the WWE Championship, the, only the second um, African-American wrestler to win the WWE Championship um, after The Rock, uh, to you know the fact that Daniel Bryan was in a 
a WrestleMania championship match in 2019. Who would have thought that would be possible at all when he retired in 2015? Um, through to, I guess, Kofi Kingston again, finally getting a chance to take what probably should have happened to him, you know, five, six years ago. Uh, he probably should have been in this kind of spot five or six years ago, but wasn't because of for various creative reasons. But did he tripped and stumbled into a gauntlet match and made it work and props to the WWE for, for jumping on that fire and following it through um, because this was the best story of the the first half of the year in wrestling um, and the best story at WrestleMania and one of the great WrestleMania moments and WrestleMania matches ever. Not really much more to add. <laughs> that, yeah, what, this was my match of the year. I'm assuming it was your yep. match of the year as well. For Most, WWE, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, like no question. It's easily their match of the year. Nothing came close. Like, no one, for yeah. me, it's not just the match itself, which was, it doesn't hurt that the match yep. itself was, like, wrestled perfectly. Like, beat for beat, everything was exactly what it needed to be. And, of course, they nailed the uh, execution as well. Um so, wh- whoever was the agent for that match, if it wasn't Daniel Bryan, <laughs> just like, <laughs> well done, amazing. Um, but also the story, that it, it, the story was again almost re- so rare for WWE for them to almost beat for beat, absolutely nail it. There was a point where it was just like, oh, another gauntlet match. But even that's, even that, that's that the, moment that's where the, the Usos came down mm. and were like, we already respect you. We're forfeit. That was amazing. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> but it was, yeah, they absolutely, for me, they absolutely nailed it as well. It was a, when Vince McMahon came out, it wasn't a, wasn't an unnecessary, it wasn't a like side thing to try and make it interesting. It was the right beat to play at that moment as well. Like the way they told the story was just fantastic. And they all fed into the match as well. Yeah, it was so damn well done. Uh, it's just a shame that WWE afterwards, fell into wild nonsense so Kofi's yep. run never really felt like it got started then it got squashed and there's still yeah <laughs> and there's still and questions this day <laughs> so, yeah. looking at the the second and third as I said Adam mm. Cole and Johnny Gargano oh, yeah. um, they also had the fifth place um, with 6.6 for their their match at TakeOver 25 these two aren't my cup of tea when they wrestle each other the uh, the near falls at the end and the sort of over the top nature of it does uh, as i said it's over the top for me but there's no doubting that you know there's people that love this and and props to them these guys these these two guys had a trilogy that you know dominated this singles matches of the year voting as i said if they were all combined together this would be the the clear winner um so so props to those guys yeah um moving on to to tag team match of the year and uh coming in Third was the Viking Raiders versus Ricochet and Alistair Black from TakeOver New York, although they are probably the War Raiders at the time. I can't quite remember the timeline of all that, but <laughs> they're the Viking Raiders now at <laughs> TakeOver New York against Blackishay. Um, <laughs> and then yeah. coming in second, you've got the, the Women's War Games, Team Ripley versus Team Baszler uh, with 15.5% of the vote. And coming in first is the Men's War Game, um, Takeover um, t- team undisputed era versus team Chumper with twenty five point one percent of the vote. I said undisputed era sort of swept the table, and it's mm. proving to be right in this case. Um, what were your thoughts about the War Games matches, Imp? 
I personally, uh, the women's uh, war games match is my favourite one WWE have done. Like out of out of all the war games matches they've done, the women's match for me was the best. Uh, the men's one had its spots, it had its moments, and it had the insane finish. Like it was still like a mm. really good match. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, but for me, uh, the team Ripley versus team Baszler, that was the the best they've ever done. So I would swap the yeah. two rounds. I would have the women's one on top. Uh, that's again, that's just my personal preference. I preferred the women's match it, from the point that because it was building really nicely. From the point that Dakota Kai turned on Tegan Knox, the it, the match in terms of pacing, in terms of crowd noise, it didn't go down, and and he still had like entrance to come. So as always, uh, what the men's match did as well was when the heels come in, they come in, stompy, 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 boo heels, <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, that didn't happen in the women's match because the again the momentum and the pace of the match never died down, and so neither did the crowd. And they painted the story of suddenly you're into a handicap situation as well, and it's all about battling, fighting off against them. Got the Io Shirai moonsault. <laughs> You've got, uh, I guess, going a bit too far with it, the heels, and that they paid the price for it, like trying to go too mental and showing off, or uh, yeah, they were too heelish, Sam. <laughs> too heelish. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably agree with you. I think the the men's one benefits from, as you said, the insane ending, also the Kevin Owens pop, um, in terms of being memorable, um, having him in is certainly a something that sticks in your memory uh the the women's i don't know i think it's a bit more of a cerebral a little bit more of a story and less reliant on those sort of i, I hesitate to call them cheap pops because it was a very well done match no doubt but i would i would probably have picked the women's one my favorite of the year actually was the shield versus corbin lashley and mcintyre at fast lane which came in fifth um but yeah i won't hold the the war games one games getting their thing. That's the second year in a row that War Games has won the the tag match of the year. Actually, um, the men's War Games last year also won tag match of the year. And the first year I ran these awards, 2017, another cage match won tag match of the year with the Usos versus the, yeah. the New Day Hell in a Cell. So tag matches stick them in a cage and people love them, I guess. <laughs> and WWE Feud of the Year. If you've been paying attention, you won't have any problem guessing who gets first in this one. <laughs> um, coming in third, though, Becky Lynch versus Ronda Rousey versus Charlotte Flair, getting 17.1% of the vote. Of course, the first ever women's main event um, at WrestleMania. No matter how convoluted they made the story in the end, no matter how frustrating it was to see Charlotte Flair potentially needlessly being added on. There's no doubt that this is a massively historical moment for women's wrestling in the WWE. Definitely deserves its place um, there. 17.8%, just pipping it out. NXT versus SmackDown versus Raw, um, getting 17.8% of the vote in the build-up to Survivor Series. But the clear winner... Adam Cole versus Johnny Gargano. <laughs> um, they they won this one. Um, they got 31% of the vote, even 31% of the vote. If you, as I said, if you paid attention to the who who won the singles matches of the year, you won't be too surprised with this one. These guys dominated that, and they've dominated this feud of the year. <coughs> In, what uh, what do you think about the results here? Oh, I gave all of my awards to Kofi Kingston, Daniel Bryan. Yes, <laughs> so for me it's kind of like um it's not just the matches they had it's the beat like in terms of the well the telling... elimination chamber match was the best elimination oh, yeah. chamber ever i think but, and yeah. the it's just from week to week the storytelling as well like how did things yep. progress week to week in that one uh 
Third place, Becky Lynch Ronda versus Charlotte Flair falls on its ass. (laughs) From week to week, it was convoluted nonsense. It it kind of felt like Ronda Rousey versus Becky Lynch was the match they which the fans wanted. But uh, last year at WrestleMania, they'd started to set up Charlotte Flair Ronda Rousey, and they were going through with it no matter what. (laughs) I was just like, but they didn't just chuck Charlotte Flair in. They did so many. So many other stupid yeah. things. <laughs> there, like, there were things over the course of the year, there were things set up so you could have used the your past year to set up putting Charlotte Flair in. But what they actually did was Vince McMahon comes in going, oh, even though you won the Royal Rumble, I don't like you. So I'm choosing Charlotte Flair instead. And she's in the match now. It's just like, oh, there were so many things that had actually happened where they would feel But that natural. was after. <laughs> that was after... Becky Lynch had been injured, oh, yeah. and then she had to apologize. Then she wasn't oh, injured. Yeah. Then she had to win a match, and then she still wasn't in. Then she had to apologize. No, then Ronda Rousey had to give up the title, and then yeah. she did it. And then I think it's... Becky Lynch had to apologize, and yeah. then Charlotte got put in, and then Charlotte won off Asuka. And, oh my god! Yeah, and but, not yeah, forgetting said, all the millennial pro- Ronda Rousey's promos oh, fell in the goodness. toilet in this point. The, the millennial man promo. Uh, even the, even though breaking, they're the same age, wall, which isn't even <laughs> yeah. breaking the fourth wall, it's breaking oh, yeah. kayfabe. And... But NXT on, versus uh, Ma- sorry, oh, say, there you go. But, but on pay per view, every time they're on pay per view, they nailed it. And the backstage brawl where they were kicking each other in the cars—that was awesome. <laughs> I really that enjoyed that. Yep. And the main event as well was a massive moment. But mm. no, <laughs> it was awful week to week. Same NXT SmackDown Raw injected so much energy and freshness, but again, it stalled for a little bit. So, no. <laughs> and of course, to Johnny Gargano, the matches were amazing, but the TV build was yep. fine. So, well, me... it happened by accident because Gargano was meant to go against Ciampa oh, at, was, uh, yeah. at uh, TakeOver New York, but uh, Ciampa got injured, so they threw Adam Cole in there. And then, of course, NXT versus SmackDown versus Raw. This, you know, an old, an old thing, brand supremacy, got a massive dose of freshness with nxt being involved almost by accident (laughs) potentially with the the delayed flight back from saudi arabia but just to wind this one up i put the the fifth place one in as a bit of a cheeky move and i'm so glad it came in fifth (laughs) r-truth versus drake maverick 9.6 percent for their feud over the 24 7 title this was amazing on Twitter. I was so it was so funny to see and I'm so glad that it's got some props <laughs> in this one. Um, but moving along, we've got to keep moving. AEW singles match of the year. This was a walk home and well deserved, I think. We'll go from third, Chris Jericho versus Kenny Omega at double or nothing, got seven point two percent of the vote. Kenny Omega versus John Moxley at full gear there. Unsanctioned match got twenty three point five percent of the vote, but well and truly taking this one home, Cody versus Dustin Rhodes at double or nothing, forty four point seven and percent of the vote this one was an amazing story an amazingly emotional tale that both men well actually i think it was dustin bled everywhere um but the two brothers fighting until they had worked out whatever was going on between them and then being able to unite at the end um again what a story what an absolutely fantastic match these are the kind of matches that make me love wrestling imp and for me, the big thing this tells me is the value over putting so much story into your matches. Mm. Cody versus Dustin was that match. It wasn't just, it was like the massive spot matches. I guess I don't really count Omega Moxie as that because that was like its own brand of hardcore. But the big spot crazy kind of matches, not one made this list. <laughs> I think that kind of says something. Um, but 
yeah, Cody versus Dustin, uh, 100% deserved. It was, uh, especially as they did the videos on the road too, as well, because they didn't have a TV show at the time. Yeah. Uh, it was told so damn well. Uh, you understood like the animosity between the two of them and the fact that this this match was to mend their brotherhood. They had mm. to have this fight and it had to turn bloody. But come the end of it, they were closer than ever. I loved it. Yep. Oh, <laughs> the... what a story. What a story. I want to go yeah. and watch it again. <laughs> Let's okay. go. And to AEW Tag Match of the Year, coming in third um, with 13.9% of the vote. This was another close one in the lower positions. The Young Bucks versus Cody and Dustin. <laughs> mm. This was the match after Cody and Dustin went to war. <laughs> Fight for the Fallen, 13.9%. Then there was the, coming in second, the uh, the Lucha Brothers versus the Young Bucks at All Out. Their Escalera de la Morte, and then coming in first, the Lucha Brothers versus the Young Bucks at Double or Nothing, thirty point two percent. I was surprised by this one. I really thought that the All Out match would get up over the, uh, I guess, more traditional tag match, if you could call a match between the Lucha Brothers and the Young Bucks <laughs> more traditional, that <laughs> uh, Double or Nothing. But there was no doubt that. Uh, at double or nothing, these guys absolutely, in both matches really, absolutely went all out, balls to the wall. All of the moves, every single move ever in wrestling <laughs> in these so, matches. He sounded like a certain president. <laughs> Just like, all of the moves, we've got all of the best moves, all the good moves. <laughs> we do all the moves. <laughs> it's like, you're not a wrestler, are you? <laughs> Just like, uh, yeah, I uh, completely agree. Again, weirdly, this fits into what I've said for the last one, where the match with the craziest spots didn't win. It was the other match. Uh, yeah. Not that... Not that, as you were saying, not that it's traditional in any sense, <laughs> but it was, uh, yeah, it was really good. I want to give a, oh, a couple of shout-outs I've got for, there was a tag match on, uh, what was it called? I think it was Fight for the Fallen. There was a tag match where it had the Luchasaurus, uh, someone versus Dark Order. It's like Jurassic a Jurassic Express. That's it. Oh, yeah. It was Jurassic Express versus Dark Order versus another team. SCU, S- I think. Yeah, and that or was... Or Private Party? No, oh, SCU. It's in the middle of the show, and it was amazing. Yep. Like brought the crowd to life. Incredible match, uh, and the uh, Santana and Ortiz versus Young Bucks that opened the, the last pay per view, all a ge- uh, full gear. Yep. Like that one, also really, uh, really, really enjoyed that one. Like, an amazing opener. But again, I can't really argue with any of these choices. Like for the top two, yeah. for me, is in no question. It's just which order they go with. But it's nice. It's not even a small difference either. It's actually quite a big jump, and it's kind of interesting to see. The match with the mental spots wasn't the one that won, so yeah. And and these two are the Lucha Brothers and the Young Bucks. They are a sort of an acquired taste for some mm. people. Some people don't like this brand of wrestling. For people who subscribe to the Rich Ladder pro wrestling <laughs> ideology, shout outs to Rich Ladder, um, One Nation Radio. <laughs> for people who subscribe to that, man, that. Matches do not get much better than the Lucha Brothers versus the Young Bucks. These guys are athletically incredible and fantastically skilled at, you know, stringing spots together. The uh, the latter match could have been an absolute disaster. I think we spoke uh, later in the year, last year, um, about a hardcore match that went really poorly, I felt, in New Japan because they didn't have any sort of cohesiveness to it. You know, the, the spots in this could have been, you know, felt completely unnatural, but... They flowed, um, and in all of their matches, the the spotty nature of it, if you're not looking for it, these big moves flow into one another, and, and they make it work. Um, so they are masters of their own particular craft. Yeah, 
Moving along, though, to AEW Feud of the Year. This was a close one. This mm. one changed leaders a number of times. Um, so coming up for third was Cody versus Dustin Rhodes, 10.2%. Probably, uh, <clears throat> I'll just say this about that one, it probably sort of wasn't long enough to really get a yeah. lot of votes and only had the one match. Um, although, to be fair, the, the top two only had one match as well, but they just sort of had longer feuds. Anyway, moving along to the two big hitters in this category. Coming in second, John Moxley versus Kenny Omega, 35.2%. And then coming in first, Cody versus Chris Jericho in at 38%. I don't think it's any coincidence that both of these are from full gear after the AEW had a chance to move to Dynamite, so fully was able to fully flesh out some feuds, but both of these incredibly heated feuds. Um, and I love the way personally that both of these sort of intermingled almost. And you had those massively chaotic brawls at the end where, oh, yeah. you know, all of the elite, and all of the inner circle would come in. And then all of a sudden John Moxley had come in and he would, you know, start beating up Kenny Omega, but get caught in the crossfire. And you also had Puck coming in from the other side as well. Yeah, fantastic stuff for both of these both of these feuds. I like how um, AEW's already uh, this, it's already set up kind of memes for itself or how, what's going to happen on AEW show. It's going to be a brawl. The lights will go out. Canadian Destroyer. <laughs> That's AEW. <Stop. laughs> but, what do you think of the uh, the stipulation with Cody and Chris Jericho in? I'm a massive fan of it personally because again yep. when um like the, the massive because it was not forgetting of course for this match they introduced the judges as well and the big talking point building up to it um, I, I remember talking about it with ray cash from Cheshire radio another shout out <laughs> but <laughs> with uh there's other people but i just can't remember their name for some reason ray cash is the only one i can remember so he wasn't the only one but um there was a talk of well they're introducing this so obviously cody's going to win but I was I don't know if you were the same boat, but I was thinking of, well, AEW promised long-form storytelling, and it's the famous Chekhov's gun kind of thing in WWE. Why would <laughs> in, in, We're used to the world of WWE where if they show the gun, why else are they showing the gun if they're not going to immediately fire it? That <laughs> That's second. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, long-form storytelling, or in the case of an actually well-written movie or TV show, that's not how you use Chekhov's gun. <laughs> you, <laughs> that's not that's not the, that's not the technique. <laughs> that's not what it's all about at all. Uh, you're teasing firing it, not showing it because you're going to fire it <laughs> immediately, straight away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like you wait, you tease it being fired, and. That's what I saw the judges as. Like they introduce it in here. They set up the concept. Later down the line, the gun will be fired, but not here. It didn't. It didn't make any sense for the story to build it, and it made sense for me for Cody to not be able to challenge for the title. I fully expect at some point he will be able to, but again, long form storytelling. It won't be in 2020. Yep. It will either be when. Chris Jericho or whoever's got the title, whoever, whatever heel's got the title has run roughshod over anything, or it will be a fantastic way to turn Cody Rhodes heel. And anyone who's seen Cody Rhodes as a heel knows <laughs> oh, yeah. that that is a good thing. So if they are going to use that oh, to turn just, him heel, I will be all in on that just, as just well. Props for Cody for last year yep. being the most hated man outside of WWE with his character. And this year and being this the year most being... beloved. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that shows exactly. how great he is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. All the pops, yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, few of the, so, I totally agree with this one being top. 
moving along, moving along to back to global slash indie singles match of the year. And one thing, I, before I get into the results for this, one thing I love this year is typically this one has one or two massive standouts. So like last year, um, Kenny Omega and Kazuchika Okada and Tetsuya Naito and Chris Jericho. Had, sorry, yes, Tetsuya Naito and Chris Jericho had, no, Last year, it was Kenny Omega and Kazuchika Okada and Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho that massively stood out. I think between them, they took over 50% of the vote. This year, the winning vote is 10%. And in total, there was 35 different matches getting votes, um, which I think is fantastic and talks to how... You know, wrestling has diversified, and the audience for the the audience of wrestling is more and more knowledgeable and more and more willing to explore different and awesome things going around. But uh, getting into this, this is a close one. So I'll go from fourth because fourth is very close to second and third. Um, fourth coming in um, with seven point one percent is Park versus. Sai, I'm not sure. At Dragon Gate Truthgate, uh, coming in third, seven point eight. Sorry, equal second actually, um, with seven point eight percent is Tessa Blanchard versus Semi Callahan at Impact Slam Anniversary, tying with Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Kenny Omega from New Japan's Wrestling Wrestle Kingdom thirteen, and finally winning by just a handful of votes with ten percent of the sorry, nine point nine percent of the votes, Tetsuya Naito versus Chris Jericho from Wrestle Kingdom thirteen. So close and I love that it's so close. Yeah. Uh, and that there's so much diversity represented in terms of promotions. There's some you know, there's Dragon Gate, which is essentially a Japanese juniors promotion. There's intergender wrestling there. And then, of course, you've got the big names of uh, the Wrestle Kingdom brand topping it out. Fantastic that there's so much diversity in this. Oh, yeah. And my match of the year isn't even on it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I understand because for me, uh, my match of the year was the best of the Super Juniors final. And I kind of understand like the wider wrestling audience probably didn't watch best of the super juniors like it's one of the side tournaments i guess for new japan for wrestling with the uh, winner getting a junior championship match at dominion uh, which is their second biggest show of the year but but yeah i understand most people a lot of people wouldn't have watched it but it was will osprey versus shingo takagi absolutely amazing <laughs> like for me yep. my match of the year still th- I, m- I might need to rewatch it because of course uh, Will Ospreay versus Hiromu is currently taking that the, the clout and I'm like oh but I, st- I think I prefer Shingo versus Will Ospreay <laughs> still I'd have to rewatch it but it's that, that story of uh, Shingo being undefeated and Will Ospreay being that guy who was carrying wanted to carry the junior division after Hiromu's injury and it was I just assumed Shingo was going to win but no, Will Ospreay did, and ever since then he's been on an absolute tear. Like, but yeah, Will Ospreay versus Shingo Takagi was my match of the year by a margin. But I can't really argue. Well, my match of the year, my match of the year was actually at the same show, but it was a different oh. match. It was John Moxley versus Chris oh. Robinson. <laughs> um, so watch Best of the Super Juniors. That was a fair. Ta- that was my oh. that was my show of the year actually, just to tip mm. my hand. Um, but um, props to Naito and Jericho mm. who who took this one out. They had a bloody brawl. This is as I actually rate this higher than the uh, Omega Jericho match personally. Uh, I did uh, too. It felt yeah. more like a it, it felt more like a, a blood feud fight um, because they I think because they had matches coming into it uh, mm. and these two you know went out there and 
tore each other up. There's a an amazing shot of I think it was Jericho did a DDT um, for Naito on the on the announcers' desks, and afterwards they do a shot of the announcers' desk, and there is a massive dent <laughs> where he is just plowed Naito's head into the table, but which is just you know one thing that happened, but uh, an absolute uh, you know it, it's emblematic of what this match what happened in this match. And uh, you know what? I think Tetsuya Naito may go a long way to <laughs> picking this award up next year as well, oh, if I have anything to say about it. <laughs> it's going to take some doing to top that Wrestle Kingdom main event. Oh, <laughs> it was, to be yeah. fair, we said that after... Both o- of them. Like, um, two years ago, after Omega Okada, and we're like, oh, it's going to take some doing to top that. And by the end of the year, it's like, oh, I don't even know if it cracks my top three. This <laughs> is just crazy to say. Well, I mean, you said that about the first Wrestle Kingdom one for this year, and oh, yeah. then after the next night, it was like, oh, which one's top? <laughs> anyway, we've got to we've got to keep moving. Um, so just as the thing, Tetsuya Naito versus Chris Jericho at Wrestle Kingdom 13 takes out the global slash indie singles match of the year. Global slash indie tag match of the year. Um, another one that had lots of representation, but ultimately had one a couple had one winner that just scraped over the line. <laughs> um, First, coming in third, was the Briscoes versus the Villain Enterprise at ROH 17th anniversary. Coming in second, with 20% even of the vote, was the Briscoes versus Evil and Sonata versus GOD versus Villain Enterprise at MSG. Probably should chuck in (laughs) Enzo and Cats. Maybe not. We'll uh, we'll ignore them like the cameras did. Uh, You can tweet about it if you like. (laughs) Coming in first was LAX, so also known as Santana and Ortiz in AEW, versus the Lucha Brothers at Impact Homecoming, who got 20.6 of the vote. So just taking this one by 0.6. I didn't watch that match. I haven't seen it. I haven't watched any Impact. Did you see that match, Imp? I did uh, and it was really really good uh, but per uh, it's, it was a it was a Lucha Brothers and versus Senna Ortiz if if you picture that match in it happening in AEW this was that match <laughs> so it, it was really really good uh, I, it's one of those matches that I keep forgetting was this year but of course LAX were doing their goodbye tour really for the Indies and this is uh, kind of at the start of that I think I can't quite remember uh, but yeah Amazing match, 100% deserves to be up there. ROH, again, everything in ROH to me uh, has fallen down a level. But the tag team match at Madison Square Garden was one of their higher points. Aside from the Enzo and Cass thing. (laughs) Yes, they did have two. Until uh, it was their worst point. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's really weird. The match itself with the actual people who were meant to be in the match that people knew were in the match, including the wrestlers. yeah, that was actually, it was really, really good. It doesn't hurt that they had even a Sonata as well to do, uh, to pop the crowd because they were so crazy for New Japan that night. Uh, but yeah, that was a really solid match. That and the ladder match for the Ring of Honor title were the only two points for Ring of Honor that didn't just sour the crowd. <laughs> well, no, this match you did know, sour the crowd as well. <laughs> but it was. The, uh, yeah. With that, the most disappointing thing, honestly, with that is they did nothing with it. They had, mm. you know, Enzo and Cass were absolutely hot. And they took a massive risk doing that because. I'm not sure if you've listened to the podcast, really interesting podcast with Enzo and Cass on Chris Jericho's podcast. They didn't, not many people knew what was going on. The gorillas of destiny, evil and Sonata didn't know. And I don't think villain enterprises knew either (laughs) that these guys were going to jump the barrier. They could, Enzo and Cass could have gotten completely beaten up. Like (laughs) absolutely. 
Like it could have been really, really bad, and they took that mm. risk and then did nothing with it. Which yeah. I don't know. Like I don't want to harp on Ring of Honor too much. We've got I've got one parting mm. shot for them down the line, um, but you yeah. know I will just say that was a really good match. Oh, yeah. And yeah, yeah, go, you go. I was going to say you don't inform the sons of Haku. <laughs> Are you crazy? <laughs> You know and then they didn't that even is. film the damn thing. Yeah. Anyway, uh, personally, but I went it was with, a good match. Yeah, I would both versus e, uh, versus ELP and uh, as Ishimori. did I. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, but LAX versus the Lucha Brothers at Impact Homecoming, taking out the global slash indie tag match of the year. Moving on to the feud of the year. I love the winner of this one. This is fantastic. Um, so Kazichiko Okada versus Jay White coming in at 10.4%. Mm. The Lucha Brothers versus LAX coming in at 18% gets second. And taking this out, this was a giant surprise for me. I haven't watched Impact, so I, I need to go and watch Impact. But this was an amazing surprise to me. Tessa Blanchard versus Sammy Callahan, 25.4%. To think that we have a intergender match in matchup winning feud of the year mm. that, that blows my mind imp <laughs> and I th- as i talked about it earlier i i, I did say that sammy callahan deserves just as much praise for the hand he's kind of helped in putting against getting tessa Blanchard to that level this this echoes that <laughs> the, um, i find it hard to disagree really it was uh it's it's done it's worked to perfection tessa Blanchard feels like their biggest star and Sammy Callahan feels like their biggest heel. And when you've done that, and they are both over in those roles to quite a, a marvellous level, like that means there's, like, there's no fault in it. It's worked to perfection. And I'm trying to think like of like contenders to the crown, like um, Walter David Starr for OTT, uh, and Jordan Devlin as well gets David Starr. Like, oh, the, the, I mean, yeah. Yeah, their promo packages and the way they tell the story for that is amazing. But Tessa Blanchard and Sammy Callahan has been so... Because it's got the weekly TV show as well, it's been it's been told so well across that as well, where they make both of them feel like the stars they're meant to be in the perfect roles yep. as well. And you can't wait to see Tessa Blanchard specifically beat Sammy Callahan up. It's just like, oh, they've done it so well. And you know, <laughs> in an era where where heels are really good heels are very mm. much at risk of getting cheered. What's one way you can ensure that a heel is always going to get booed in a you know in America in New Japan is different, but in America, what's one way? If you have them beating up a girl, they are not going to get any <laughs> cheers. And they you know props to Impact for having the guts to pull something like this off. This is not something that, as I said, this blows my. I haven't watched Impact, but this blows my mind that this is top, uh, and that they've had the guts to do that. Props to Impact. That is fantastic. And I actually, I think I might go and watch some of this because I, I didn't know it was happening and I'm, you know, really excited and surprised that it is there. Um, moving along, though, Brand of the Year. I, I no surprise that there's two big hitters there. Two, two you know, small indie <laughs> promotions coming out of America. Uh, <laughs> so I, I'm going to start with fourth because who would have thought that in... Mm. 2019, we would be talking about the NWA uh, at all, beyond being a punchline. 4.5%. They, congratulations to them for what they have done. Billy Corgan is a, is a, a, a we we he he owe, we owe him as a as wrestlers. He could you know he's got islands of money. He could just relax on that, but no, he wants to do something different, and he's brought the NWA 
back uh, to more prominent than it's been probably any time this decade, this this century, I would say. Um, 4.5%. New Japan coming in third. This was my vote for for promote brand of the year 8.6 percent but the top two um this the lead of this changed a number of times um there was a time where it was seesawing between four or five votes either way and each side would sway would sway in front and then the other in the end AEW came in second with 38.4% of the vote and wwe came in with 42.5% of the vote uh I mean, how awesome! I will say this: How awesome is it that there is a second promotion in mm. America that is challenging WWE? Obviously, they're not going to be as big as WWE, but they are challenging them, and they are they are fighting for audience share on Wednesday nights. They are doing amazing things for wrestlers' welfare. Uh, they are showing that two-hour wrestling programming can be done and done well. Uh, and forcing the WWE to up its own game. Uh, and there's, I, I have little doubt that even though AEW are, uh, according to WWE, a pissant company, <laughs> the WWE has certainly seems to have upped its game in the second half of this year oh, yeah. uh, as a result. Uh, as a result of AEW coming around and saying, look, we might not be as big as you, but if you want to maintain your monopoly, your size, your you know, your market dominance, you are going to have to start to care and start to put on the kind of wrestling that the fans want to watch. In terms of how this reflects the actual order of, like, who are the... Yeah, who are the five biggest wrestling companies uh, if you are, like, a Western viewer or if you are American? This order, for me, is 100% accurate. (laughs) It's just... For the record, Impact is in fifth with 1.3%. Sadly, Mm. Ring of Honor only got two votes this year. Oh, really? Two? Coming coming from second non-WWE last Mm. year um, to only getting two votes, (laughs) which is a sad tale. Um, But anyway, you keep going with your thought, Imp. Uh, But yeah, so for me, this accurately represents the... um, what I'd call the, I guess, the fan base and who are the biggest promotions in America. Hierarchy. Yeah. WWE should be so much higher is kind of my mm. thinking and the only reason it's so close is because they fell off a cliff for the second or third year in a row um this is as in um like over the course of the summer especially because i stopped watching over the summer last year and then this year was even worse <laughs> so it's two years in a row me chirpy imp <laughs> i've 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 reached a point where i have stopped watching for months and then come back for SummerSlam. so it, yeah, that kind of for me that kind of paints the picture of, of, of WWE with all of the resources they've got, with the ingrained I guess habit of viewership, with the amount of fans they've built over decades. This shouldn't be a four or five percent difference when they're up against a brand new company. It shouldn't be that tight. They should be sweeping the floor with them, but they're not, and that's because they've faltered. They failed essentially. Uh, they said it last year at Christmas, and this year they're in a worse state. Financially, they're killing it, but that's because they've accepted certain business methods. <laughs> no. What I would yeah. what I would say to this is the the fight for the dollars and cents is a no no 
no competition. Con- no contest. But the yeah. fight for the hearts and minds of wrestling fans is alive and well. Yes. Uh, and 2020 is going to be an interesting year to see the full a full year of AEW going toe-to-toe with NXT. Uh, last year, we when I split these, we had the WWE Awards, which NXT breezed home in. <laughs> and then, of course, we had the non-WWE Awards, which New Japan dominated in. This year, because of AEW, I wanted to lump everything together, mm. and I didn't see any sense in separating NXT, SmackDown, and Raw. So the WWE are one company, and, you know, they've yeah. got a fan base. They have a fan mm. base, and... We've been ragging on them a lot, but they have done a lot of good things. NXT mm. is a really solid, a really great wrestling company, and they have a lot of fans who are right or die WWE fans. Yeah. And, you know, they they deserve to win this. I, you know, I think they've done enough that they deserve to have won this. I won't lie. I was, you know, secretly, even though I voted for New Japan, I was secretly <laughs> hoping AEW would win um, just because, but... This is a fan vote. We go with what you guys say, and you guys have popped WWE in. But, yeah, as I said, the the fight for the hearts and minds of the fans is alive and well, and it will be interesting to see what happens in 2020. Mm. Moving along to show of the year, uh, and we've got coming in at third, NXT TakeOver War Games 3 with those two massive tag matches, 11.5%. The Bayomouth that is WWE WrestleMania. WrestleMania 35 coming in second with 14% of the vote. And then we've got coming in at first. I think this is absolutely the rightful winner. Um, AEW double or nothing, except for best of the Super Juniors. But AEW or nothing coming in at 15.8%. This was a show that kicked off AEW in a phenomenal way. It was their best show of the year by a long shot, I think. Uh, Well, maybe not a long shot, but it was definitely their best show of the year. You had the fantastic opening match between the Young Bucks and the Stronghearts. Uh, You had the Dustin versus Cody match, which was amazing. And then, as we've already covered, the main event, Cody... Oh, sorry, Kenny Omega versus Chris Jericho, which I think is a bit of a forgotten match of the year candidate, um, with John Moxley debuting at the end of it. Uh, just fantastic all round. Even from the uh, the Joshi match was, you know, I'd never really watched Joshi wrestling before, and I've now got um, two favourite wrestlers who are Joshis in Riho and Hikaru Shida. Mm. Amazing. Um, this was a really fantastic card. Of course, WrestleMania 35 had... You know, everything that WrestleMania has. Mm. But highlights, of course, the women's main event. Kofi Kingston versus um, Daniel Bryan, the big mm. highlight. But also, I'll give a shout-out to The Miz versus Shane McMahon, which was a surprise. Um, I was very surprised I I enjoyed that. And as with so many WrestleManias, with this, if you watch, um, you know, up until like the just the Daniel Bryan and Kofi match. It's a, an amazing show. Um, it did tend to drag on because, you know, WrestleMania mm. goes long these days, but that's the way that WWE want to do it, and there's no doubt that they put on an incredible show at, at WrestleMania 35. Yeah, and weirdly my shout-outs are more, more WWE shows, <laughs> which given the year, you yeah. wouldn't think. But, um, so the Royal Rumble, for me, that was... Royal Rumble sometimes falls out of these categories because it was just so long ago by the time you're yeah. voting. Um, the setting for that was amazing yeah. this year. Oh, yeah. And uh, every like, every match, seemingly, the winners were 
perfect. Like the 100% right choice. The hot starter of Asuka versus Becky Lynch. You had Brock Lesnar, Finn Balor. Keep forgetting Ronda Rousey, Sasha Banks. Like, and then there the two Royal yep. Rumble matches with, again, both winners of the Royal Rumbles were 100% the right choice, which is, like, yes, perfect. <laughs> like They nailed the Royal Rumble this year after nailing it last year <laughs> with the winners as well. So it, it was, uh, yeah, it was... Royal Rumble for me, 100% deserving of a shout-out. Uh, Elimination Chamber, purely because of, of the point that you pointed out, that arguably it was the best Elimination Chamber match they've ever had, <laughs> which really, really elevates it. Just insane. Uh, also interesting that Wrestle Kingdom, I don't, I've, I'm pretty certain Wrestle Kingdom's made this list every year you've done this, and this year doesn't even scrape top five. For me, that possibly shows the quality of the show overall, that it did seem a bit rushed. Uh, it felt a little bit rushed really is my only real, real criticism the top matches still delivered but the, as an overall show it, it was a little bit rushed and I kind of o- do outside agree outside of just to just to jump in there outside hmm. of AEW and um, WWE it was the highest rated oh, of okay. all of the other shows best yeah. of Super Juniors Wrestle King. Yeah. <laughs> Best of yeah. that. that was my favourite one. That also had Hiroshi Tanahashi <laughs> versus Zack Sabre Jr., mm. Goto versus Jay White. Man, that was such a good match. Such and a good to be match. fair, there were some G1 Climax nights where you just tuned in to watch G1 Climax and was like, oh my god, oh. that entire show was amazing. Yep. But I can't yep. remember the specific night. <laughs> I'm not Rich Latter. <laughs> I don't remember the specific nights. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, I guess shout out to New Japan then for that. But. Uh, I do agree. Uh, Impact as well. They've made a habit of Slammiversary being 100% worth the tune in. Uh, last year's for me was incredible because that had Sammy Callahan versus Pentagon Jr., which was amazing. Uh, this year, they it was really, really good, but it didn't quite hit their amazing levels to break this top five, which I kind of feel like every show on here has definitely earned that place. But, but yeah, biggest shout outs to Elimination Chamber, Royal Rumble. Uh, we've we've criticised WWE a lot, obviously, but. Yeah, from the Royal Rumble WrestleMania season, it was a lot of fun, and the pay per views were fantastic. Even Fastlane. And another card, just to just to wrap up before we close off the of the year. Another card that deserves, I think, deserves a bit of a shout out for the historical nature of it was the G One Supercard, the first show that wasn't WWE in Madison Square to be in Madison Square Garden in, I think over 50 years which as i've said a big theme for this year is just the diversity and the the broadening of the wrestling world and i think that shows as much as anything um where wrestling is going um in in terms of those guys being able to put on a card and there's now rumors that new japan will put on a a card at Madison Square Garden just for themselves, which would be amazing in itself. Mm. So that wraps up the of the year, show of the year, as we said, AWW or nothing, wrapping that up. So that's the celebration for 2019. Um, and as I said, before we get into the wrestlers of the decade and that all of these will go up on lordsofpain.net. Um, you'll be able to jump on there and see the full results. So the top five for everyone in, in graph form, as well as a little bit of extra commentary, if you haven't heard enough of my gibbering. Um, <laughs> in there. But let's move on to what I think are the big and the most prestigious things. And the, the thing that really excited me this year was wrestler of the decade. Now, in terms of the voting, I did that a little bit differently because, you know, with wrestler of the decade, I feel like you need to be able to put out more than just one vote with everything else. Everyone just got one vote. So, you know, you can only pick one thing, but the wrestler of the decade tag team of the decade, you got to pick three wrestlers to get your votes. And then for match of the decade, you got to pick five. So you kind of got to put forward a little bit more of a 
diverse opinion um, and have your points spread a little bit as opposed to having it all just on one person or nothing. Uh, but wrestler of the decade, I'll start with 10th. Brock Lesnar with 8.3%, tied with Becky Lynch. So she's actually probably be tied for ninth. <laughs> Becky Lynch on 8.3% as well. Fantastic to see a female in there as well. Seth Rollins gets eighth with 8.5%. Kazichiro Okada, 11.2%. Kenny Omega comes in six on 12.5%. Coming in fifth, we've got John Cena, 13.7% of the votes. CM Punk, comes in fourth with 16.5% of the votes. Chris Jericho comes in third with 19.4% of the votes. And then top two, you've got Daniel Bryan with 24.5% of the votes. And then the wrestler of the decade, as voted by Lords of Pain, AJ Styles, the phenomenal one, 38% of the vote. And it's really cool that AJ Styles gets this because if there's a lot of there's a case you could make for a lot of the guys on this list but AJ Styles he's wrestled in all of the major promotions he wrestled in TNA at the start of the year uh, the start of the decade in 2010s he was the the main event of their first Monday night um, Monday night um, impact was against Kurt Angle um, versus AJ Styles. And then he, of course, went to New Japan where he was the leader of the Bullet Club. And that was really when the Bullet Club stormed the wrestling cult- wrestling culturally um, and became, you know, this, this shirt that every second wrestling fan seemed to have. That was AJ Styles that sort of got it to that point. Uh, and then, of course, went to the WWE and against all odds became one of the absolute rolled gold top guys in the WWE, uh, a place that at the start of the decade, I don't think, I think people would have seen him going to WWE, but never getting the kind of position he had. Let's not forget, he's had the second longest WWE championship run. Let's not, we'll forget it, the universal title, but the second <laughs> longest behind CM Punk was AJ Styles, which is incredible to think when you look back at the start of the decade uh of course daniel bryan coming in second the yes movement was probably the most amazing explosion of fan love that we have seen um across you know at any point since the attitude era um just universally beloved and then to come back in the way he has and go back into another championship managed match at wrestlemania at wrestlemania and then in Number third, Chris Jericho, of course, has been a, a fixture across the decade. The start of the decade, he was uh, the guy who wore suits and was, you know, speaking, <laughs> speaking, you know, using big words to annoy the crowd. And now he's, uh, you know, wearing leather jackets and <laughs> annoying the crowd in other ways. Um, but obviously, I'm a big fan. What are your thoughts on this list here, Imp? Yeah, like in terms of, like Daniel Bryan was like terms of fact. The fans falling in love with a wrestler and WWE crowning him in the main event of WrestleMania, like that is that was something special. Uh, it was, and they kind of feel like quite unlucky with what happened afterwards as well, with terms of injuries and things. Mm. Uh, it's still so feel so glad to have him back, but obviously he'll never be the top guy going for that position again, which is kind of a bit sad. But yeah, like at that moment in that first half of the decade, he got so much fan support; it was incredible. Now for me, it kind of the CM Punk chance lasted, but it didn't have the same emotional fan impact that Daniel Bryan did, or like on that emotional level, uh, it was incredible. AJ Styles started the decade in TNA. At that point, 
it had been bought out by Hogan. Uh, Hogan wasn't deemed a mega racist yet, <laughs> so but but the quality was like Impact was going kind of sorry TNA and Impact were kind of going down in quality a little bit. They're about to enter a bad patch. AJ Styles got out ahead of the curve when Hulk Hogan came in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so like, he got out ahead of the curve and then went to Japan and just as Sam was just saying, uh, brought Bullet Club to an amazing fan popular level in the states and then the elite went went van what I can't. Can't really speak. Yeah. And Riot with it when AJ Styles yep. went to and WWE. Now they've got their own wrestling promotion. <laughs> yeah. Then in the second half of the decade, AJ Styles has become one of WWE's top guys, and which, again, it was one of the massive fears whenever, because he's AJ Styles, he's not a massive guy, thinking was his wrestling ability wouldn't matter in WWE because they're the land of the bigger, muscly people. So he would kind of fall to the wayside. But of course, at the same time, the Shield guys were kind of getting over, and Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins, neither of those guys are big, muscly people either obviously the number one guy they went with was <laughs> but the others kind of weren't so there was a space for AJ Styles and next thing you know he's having classics with John Cena and he's having his match at Wrestlemania every year is one to look out for so it's like oh that's yeah I would never have predicted he would have had such an amazing success and he owes it and I kind of owe it as well to the his success in Japan led directly into like his him him working the kind of more character side in WWE uh, he's always a and also, I will, I will I'll jump in there and say he also owes it to our fourth place getter, CM Punk. Uh, the fact CM Punk is on this list as high as he is, I think is well-deserved at fourth with 16.5% of the vote. The way, of course, what, what he did with the pipe bomb and his mm. rivalry with John Cena was incredible. But I think the biggest impact CM Punk had, and also Daniel Bryan um, to, a, to a large extent as well, is the way that they changed the game for wrestlers that had sort of come from the indie scene previously you had wrestlers like john cena batista randy orton you know products of the wwe promotion and the the indie wrestlers that sort of scrapped on through like your your brian kendrick's your john morrison's they were you know maybe left on there to fill out the mid card but they weren't really given the keys to the kingdom they weren't made main eventers whereas when CM Punk dropped that pipe bomb, he smashed through that glass ceiling, um, became the first wrestler with the, you know, the sort of that's tarred with the indie brush to take the main event. And now look at the way that they recruit. It's all indie wrestlers. Mm. The the list of indie wrestlers, who, wrestlers who made their name on the indies that are part of the WWE now, of course, AJ Styles is a big one, but you've got Kevin Owens. Um, of course, Dean Ambrose and, and Seth Rollins, who, who also made this list. You've got Adam Cole, Shinsuke Nakamura, Sammy Zach, like I could go Samoa Joe, I could go on and on and on and on about the influence that Punk had, and AJ Styles definitely owes it to that. But I will never forget when AJ Styles debuted in that 2016 Royal Rumble. I wasn't paying any attention to wrestling outside of the WWE at the time, um, and so I didn't even realize that he was a free agent, you know, ready to go around. And I wasn't on Twitter a whole lot at the time as well. I was more just passively watching, um, and. I, when I saw it, I was like, is that – you're kidding. That's AJ Styles in WWE <laughs> losing my mind. And I was at a at a party, a, like a, a Royal Rumble party with a bunch of people who don't b 
barely watch WWE, let alone anything outside of that. And they were like, what? what's going on? I was like, that's AJ Styles. This is incredible. <laughs> what's he doing in WWE? And that was such an exciting time to, you know, it just felt so out of the blue, but the way he cemented himself is incredible. And mm. I, I voted for Daniel Bryan in this um, because of the yes movement. That's actually, that actually brought me back to wrestling in 2014. Um, I, I stopped watching in 2010. Uh, and Daniel Bryan brought me back, uh, and the way he returned as well. But I can't argue with AJ Styles being oh, yeah. um, being one of them. Yeah, uh, I'd also think as as well. I might mention as well Kenny Omega and Kazuchika Okada coming in at sixth and seventh. I'm a little disappointed Hiroshi Tanahashi didn't make it, but I'm not surprised. Um, if I was going to pick three. Japanese wrestlers to make it. It would be those three. Um, I understand Okada and Omega, the impact that their match had on Mm. the culture. And even though Tanahashi's got sort of bought New Japan back from the brink, I would say he's sort of been on the downslide a little bit since he... um, Or Okada's been the focal point since it's really exploded into, I guess, what I'd call the mainstream of American wrestling, well, mainstream of Western wrestling culture. Um, It really has been, well, of course, Omega and Okada have been the sort of the guys at the forefront of that, that, that cultural explosion. Yeah, like, personally, my top three, my list was, like, my bar was extremely high. (laughs) So, my guys were uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Kazuchika Okada, and John Cena. Uh, when I say a high bar, I like I mean before wrestling of the decade, that those three were all the top guys drawing in incredible crowds and money for the promotion, and they were like in, yeah, incredible draws. They were uh, over to such a strong degree. Yeah, obviously, John Cena not as much with uh, our demographic, but he was. You can't argue however he was. Of course, you realise how much how great he was once he's gone. <laughs> kind of thing. And uh, so for me, my bar was extremely high. Hiroshi Tanahashi, I think really the only downside why he's not made the top 10 is a lot of the stuff he did, that his peak was before people started watching, Mm. before the American push. So if you've not gone back to watch it, you won't know why, for me, uh, why he was the equivalent of Okada that is now. Like, Okada, for me, he is... Uh, to John, what John Cena was to WWE that of that that mega draw essentially at the top of the card, Okada is that now he is the top guy at the top of the card. Don't know if that'll be different in this decade because we've seen a slight change, but he was the top guy drawing in amazing crowds. And Hiroshi Tanahashi, like he and John Cena were apparent, like essentially just the they were there, they were each other's equivalent on the opposite sides of the world. Hence why they are both on the list. <laughs> like both were. Incredible draws. So Roger Taylor has a completely different context. Like John Cena taking the torch from an incredibly successful company. Hiroshi Tanahashi, the exact opposite, bringing one from the dead and then kind of bringing them both to, in their separate countries, to be on similar levels of popularity uh, is an incredible achievement. But, of course, again, in terms of the LOP vote, he did that in the first half of the decade slash the late noughties. Uh, and he started, and then he passed the torch in like the mid, in the middle of this decade. So to the LP vote, most people just weren't watching. <laughs> so I one hundred, if I hadn't done my story of Tanahashi, I wouldn't have. I, like, I knew about him, I knew the gravitas of it, but I wouldn't have felt it if I hadn't have gone back and gone. Oh, they're not lying. He was the man, who, and he did save them. And in terms of off the decade stuff, 
like it's not even for me. It's a uh, no question who the top three are. Uh, but of course, emotion and heart comes into it a bit more. I was very practical with mine <laughs> with extremely high bar. <laughs> mine has very little emotion <laughs> compared to the actual result, which is wrestlers that fans really have gravitated towards and really love. Yeah, I think just before we move on, I just wanted to shout out in equal ninth position, Becky Lynch. Um, to think at the start of the decade, to think oh, yeah. where women's wrestling was in WWE and in the broader Western Western wrestling culture, to think that the biggest star of the WWE would be, biggest full-time star would be a female, to have them go from having their match be the piss break at pay-per-views to now it's not even a big deal when they made, not only they main evented WrestleMania, but it's not even a big deal when they main event pay-per-views. They main evented TLC this year and no one blinked. No one, even, I don't even, I didn't see anyone even speaking about it. That's how normalized it is. And if we were to do a top 20, Charlotte Flair would also be in that. Um, a lot of it's been her, but all, Becky Lynch has, uh, no one swept the culture like, no female wrestler swept the culture like Becky Lynch. And last year when she sort of came out as the man uh, and had that explosion in popularity, I hadn't seen anything like it since Daniel Bryan. Um, Daniel Bryan's rise up the card in the way that the crowd was not just chanting for her when she was in the ring, but chanting for her when she wasn't in the ring and chanting for her when she wasn't even in the arena and they knew she wasn't in the arena, they were still chanting for her. And to think that at the start of the decade where women's wrestling was and now in the you know, holding her place equal with Brock Lesnar, <laughs> rightfully so, mm. in, in terms of the fan vote. Becky Lynch is up there. That's fantastic. Mm. Um, and that just shows, yeah, look, there's been a lot of ups and downs in wrestling this decade. and But that's something that I think wrestling fans can really hold on to has been a, a massive positive that's come out of the decade. Um, but move, congratulations to AJ Styles, wrestler of the decade, as voted by Lords of Pain. .net viewers. Moving on to tag team of the decade. We might not spend as quite as long on this, um, but still worth going down. Equal 10th tag team of the decade on 7.1. Equal 10th was The Revival and The Bar. Coming in at ninth was Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish, of course, as two two teams, Red Dragon, and then as on the Indies and in New Japan, and then as Undisputed Era in the WWE. Coming in at eighth, the Lucha Brothers with 9.6. In at seventh, the Hardy Brothers, 10.1. Coming in at sixth, which I really love the fact mm. they got so many votes, Beer Money Inc. at 12%. Not forgotten, um, one of the, the staples of Impact Wrestling in the late late noughties and the early teens. Coming in at fifth, DIY, Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano. Fourth, The Usos, 19.3%. Um, Coming in at third, this is quite incredible actually, um, from the indies, The Young Bucks, 20.8% of the vote. And then coming in at second, The Shield, 29.6%. And then the top, the tag team of the decade, as voted by Lords of Pain, with 39.3% of the vote. It's the new day! Yes, it is! Bomp. Do you want to get your kazoo out? And oh. you, can, you can play the theme song for the new day. New day rocks. New day rocks. <laughs> I've got a kazoo, by the way. What an awesome <laughs> story the New Day are, though. Like, you talk about 
Have you listened to any of their podcasts recently? I've, I've listened, it's really interesting to listen to. Yeah, I've listened to Because these are three guys who were on the down and outs. Mm. They were not some they were not a priority at all in the in terms of where the WWE was at. Kofi Kingston's career. He was a you know, a well known person in the locker room, but he was well and truly entrenched in the middle of the mid card, not even I'd say the upper mid card, just a, a fixture there. Win some, you lose some. Um, you know, you might pick up a US championship or an intercontinental championship, but you might not. Um, Xavier Woods and, you know, Big E was potentially a, a, a failed experiment and Xavier Woods was not even <laughs> that. <laughs> um, but these three got together and created something amazing and very organically created something amazing, trusted themselves, took a lot of risks in how they promoted themselves and got over in a massive way, a massive way with the crowd and all of it culminating in um, firstly massive tag team reign, the the longest reigning tag teams of all time in the WWE Um, in terms of WWE championships. They hosted WrestleMania uh, they actually won the feud of the year in 2017 with the Usos. And then, of course, this year, culminating with the win, the elevation of Kofi Kingston from that middling mid-carder who was stuck there and was not moving anywhere through to finally getting, you know, matching the promise that he showed in 2010 when he feuded with Randy Orton in, in late 2009, early 2010. Um, he won that WWE championship as we talked about earlier in what we we both think is the match of the year and what the LOP voted as the match of the year. Incredible stuff from the New Day here. Yeah. And um, also, uh, Imp, do you want to blow your pink kazoo? Isn't a euphemism. <laughs> <It's> actually, <laughs> generally just a pink kazoo. <laughs> oh, goodness me. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, um, like, I've listened to two of the New Day's podcasts and... Uh, yeah, really interesting to listen to. That yeah, that fact that they were so down and out, and when you hear a lot of the BS they had to go through to even make it to television in the state they made it on, it's like they they weren't perceived that well by the fans, but it could have been so much worse. <laughs> and they steered the ship to average <laughs> essentially with the beginning, and then made it work once they were on television, and. Uh, yeah, the biggest success story of the year, obviously. And of course, by the end of the decade, yeah, it was such a success. Kofi Kingston becomes champion at WrestleMania in such an incredible degree. Uh, I, for me, the top three are, were without question, and they are the exact top three yep. we've got. So that is awesome to see. Um, yeah. The Shield are the most influential faction, but in terms of team tag team of the decade, obviously, they stopped being a tag team. They weren't actually around that long. Uh, the impact was huge, but not for that long uh the new day they've had that longevity even though you get a lot of fans saying that oh the gimmick's tired they need to move on now they need to split up or whatever they don't show any signs of that really ever happening (laughs) i don't i don't feel that i felt that they that this is their act i don't know if it's a very wwe conditioned thing where you where tag teams should split up within a year or two (laughs) <laughs> that's a very uh, like naughty, very WWE conditioned thing. Uh, for me, like I think about the tag teams way in the past where they never broke up. That that was their faction. The New Day are old school in that manner. <laughs> like they're a tag team, they're a faction. They're not going to turn on each other because they're, they're friends. Like they're friends for life. Why would they do that? Um, yeah, I, I, it's yeah, actually a I running joke on their podcast that that one of them's going to break up. With them. <laughs> um, I think it's interesting. The young bucks 
just thinking about it now, the Young Bucks and the New Day have got a lot of parallels mm. in terms of they're both teams of guys who aren't going to singles wise were not not figuring, mm. you know. But they're teams that have really backed themselves really strongly created a really unique and strong brand um, and have absolutely hustled their way, you know, with and, and done every single line of merchandise, either of the company, either of them could, <laughs> and, and have been able to work their way through sheer will and determination and charisma and, you know, remembering and reminding people that wrestling is fun, having a sense of humor, having a sense of fun to what they do. Um, and yeah, the, I think the young bucks in the new day, it, it, they are two massive success stories and they owe it all to themselves. The shield. Um, I will definitely talk about the shield. They are by far the most pushed tag team on this list. Um, but for good reason, these are three of the absolute, the, the, biggest names in the industry now john moxley slash dean ambrose um all three of them have been massively successful in wwe now john moxley is one of the biggest names in aew roman reigns and seth rollins also are one of the um also the big two of the biggest names in the wwe the story of the shield i wrote about it on lords of pain was is massive for this decade in wwe um with the the breakup at the rise of the shield through the early the early years from 20 when they debuted in 2012 um to when they broke up in 2014 and had those amazing matches with the wyatts and the evolution through to Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins feud over the years and then the reunion the six man tags that they've had um you know I think as a unit, you know, maybe in terms of pure tag team action, they've had a lot of good six men, and I think they deserve their position on this based on just that as well. But when you look at their influence, as you said, and then where they are as singles and how the Shield has sort of spoken to what they do as singles, I I rated them right up there. Um, and I will also briefly just touch on the Usos, um, who I think are another team that, you know, K, they you know, spend a lot of time and have always been really solid in the ring, but towards the, in the second half of the, the decade really sort of reinvented themselves and gave themselves some extra swagger. Um, and from 2017 onwards have, you know, really nailed the character stuff as well to go with their in ring performance, which has always been fantastic. Uh, and yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of those guys as well. And I'm glad that they did so well on this list. Oh, I, I, yeah, another uh, notice to be a money ink for making it. <laughs> Just like, yes, the yep. influence oh, is not so forgotten. Good to see that. <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah. yeah, indeed. And moving along, so congratulations to the New Day, as we both said, worthy um, tag teams of the decade, as voted by Lords of Pain. Now, moving on to the big one, the match of the decade. Um, and. With this one, as I said, everyone who voted got five votes. Not everyone used five votes, actually, which I thought was interesting. But I, I love with... <laughs> yeah. You didn't. Oh, yeah. you didn't either. Um, I really like with this one that there's, you know, a split across... Oh, I, I, actually, I might just read it out and then we'll, we'll mm. talk a little bit more in depth. So coming in at 10th is AJ Styles versus Shinsuke Nakamura, at Wrestle Kingdom 10, with 6.8% of the vote. Coming in at 9th, 
Kenny Omega versus Kazuchika Okada, two out of three falls at Dominion 2018 with 17.4% in New Japan. At eighth, The Rock versus John Cena from WrestleMania 28, 7.9%. Seventh, The Shield versus The Wyatt Family at Elimination Chamber 2014, 8.3% of the vote. Sixth, Johnny Gargano versus Tommaso Ciampa at TakeOver New Orleans, unsanctioned match, 9% of the vote. Coming in at fifth, the top five, The Undertaker versus Triple H at WrestleMania 28, 9.4. At fourth, Kenny Omega vs. Kazuchika Okada, Wrestle Kingdom 11 main event, 9.6%. Third, Bailey vs. Sasha Banks, TakeOver Brooklyn, 10.3% of the vote. And then coming in second, John Cena vs. CM Punk, Money in the Bank 2011, 34.7% of the vote. And then, honestly, I'm going to call this an upset. I did not see this coming. The match of the decade, as voted by Lords of Pain.net readers, The Undertaker vs. Shawn Michaels, WrestleMania 26 uh, gathered 39.1% of the vote. Um, what a list of matches. I will just, I'll say that to start with. What a list of matches. Shows are fantastic. Shows New Japan. Shows WWE. It shows past legends, present legends. It shows women's wrestling. It, it talks about the past of the industry and the undertaker and Shawn Michaels and the undertaker versus triple H and even to a degree, the rock versus John Cena and, and the future of the industry with the shield versus the Wyatt's or, and Kenny Omega versus Okada and Gargano versus Champa. What a list of matches him. This is, this is a mate, a really fantastic list. Oh, 100%. And the, and Shawn Michaels last match. I've not watched Saudi Arabia. So this is to me, this is still Shawn Michaels. Yeah. Last screw match. that. That was his last match. <laughs> yeah. uh, and just like Rick Flair never came out of retirement. Mm. Neither did Shawn Michaels. <laughs> and I remember that at the time, the <laughs> build and hype for this match was amazing. And I just assumed that John Cena and Batista would main event. Just because it's the title, damn it, it's got a main event. But <laughs> no, uh, this it was one hundred percent deserving. The uh, such a fantastic farewell for Shawn Michaels. Um, at the time, I remember thinking, oh, it wasn't quite as good as a WrestleMania match the year before. But of course, we're talking about like people ranking that as the best WrestleMania match ever. <laughs> so comparing that to Undertaker Shawn Michaels, like incredible. Weirdly, I kind of feel like I Kobe... prefer this match to the twenty-five match, honestly. Uh, so I've not watched it since, so I need to go back and oh. actually see it. Um, weirdly, I feel like uh, Kofi Kingston and Daniel Bryan deserves to be on this list, but I don't know where. Which <laughs> is the other thing, because I didn't vote for it. Um, because uh, the way I thought about it with this list were what what were the three most, I guess, culturally impacting um, matches in terms of like the wrestling world? Uh, John Cena, CM Punk, and Bailey versus Sasha, and Kenny Omega because it's Okada where they're second, third, and fourth. <laughs> so that's kind of... like There must have been quite a lot of people, maybe thinking like me, uh, where those three matches were extremely significant. But uh, I'll, I'll tell yeah. you what uh, Daniel Bryan versus... <laughs> this will be funny, actually. <laughs> Daniel Bryan versus Kofi tied with. Tied with a couple of things. <laughs> tied with... Uh... Oh, where are we? Oh, goodness me. I'll just tell you the funny one that it tied with. The final deletion, <laughs> Jeff Hardy versus Matt Hardy. Oh, they're equivalent. 
<laughs> also, oh. the uh, it also tied with the WrestleMania 32 women's match, um, the four-way oh, Flair, okay. Lynch, Banks, and Bailey. Uh, yeah, um, I mean, behind Bailey versus Sasha Banks, that's the second most, I guess, influential women's match of the decade. Although, yeah. or would you count the WrestleMania main event? Oh, I mean, one leads to the other. The, <laughs> well, yeah. the WrestleMania main event wasn't a good match, no. and historically. It was really important, but let's they they didn't have a great match. Whereas Bailey versus Sasha Banks was such a great match. Like mm. the, it's third for a reason. It holds its spot, not just historically, but as a match, it holds its spot really well. One above Kenny Omega versus Kazuchika Okada mm. at the time, the greatest wrestling match that had ever been wrestled. If you if you put stem into to Dave Meltzer's ratings, and you know you can say what you want about that, but look, that's, that's the match that turned me on to new Japan. I started watching new Japan because of that match. Um, and, and the fact that Bailey and Sasha Banks is one ahead of it. Amazing. Um, the, the women's revolution was sort of already humming and running between that, but that certainly turned it up to a fever pitch. Uh, the two big ones, of course, though, because a lot were hovering around that 10, nine, sort of eight area but the two big ones as we said undertaker versus Shawn michaels you've got that amazing sort of face-off and then the 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 absolutely emotional ending of Shawn michaels doing his doing the undertaker's taunt at him and going out defiantly just as Shawn michaels should but also john cena versus cm punk mm. money in the bank 2011 that was a a bolt of lightning um, I've watched it now, and I've I've heard it talked about. I wasn't watching at the time, um, but from all accounts, that was an absolute bolt of lightning that completely shook up the way that the WWE was and everything about that match. The drama, the the pipe bomb beforehand, of course, but then the drama of CM Punk's contract ending, and then props to WWE for for giving Punk the win, which and, and letting him run off with the championship. What an ending to a match. Uh, and you won't hear a louder fan reaction than CM Punk's entrance on that night. Yeah, um, and yeah. it's the it's the exact demographic and fan base that they've been losing in the second half of the year. Just yep. to hear that roar at the start of the decade, there was so much hope of, oh my god, there might be a boom here, <laughs> type of thing. Mm. And they on the night, they absolutely nailed it. As in, if you would have gone to bed that night thinking, I think there's going to be a boom, they've led into it perfectly. They fecked it up every week from there on, <laughs> but <laughs> that night was something not every special. Week. Not every week. Not every week, but... most weeks. Uh, yeah, but yeah, on that night, it was absolutely something special. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, an amazing if, proof again, like Daniel Bryan, Kofi Kingston, that when WWE get it right, they really get it right, and that was yeah. But of course, like the the I guess the four. For me, like the real end of an era with Shawn Michaels' retirement, undertaken for Shawn Michaels, it does hold a special place in my heart, even though I've not gone back and rewatched it. But um, yeah, yeah, I can't really argue with the top five. Like they're all so kind of important to the decade as well in terms of wrestling. So, uh, yeah. I honestly, I was quite well. I think it probably speaks to the the LOP fan base and demographic that mm. the Undertaker's two matches in the in the top five versus Triple H and versus Shawn Michaels um, did so well. They that surprised me that they were so high. I expected them to do well, but not. I I really expected Cena versus Punk to be the 
the the, the highest rated match. That was that's what I thought would be the match of the decade, and that's so that's that. Um, I voted for the Shield versus the Wyatt family. I voted for Omega versus Okada, um, and then also I voted more selfishly for Dean Ambrose versus Seth Rollins at Money in the oh. Bank, um, twenty fifteen, and also I voted for. Uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Kota Ibushi at the G1 final, which, you know, I was probably the only person that voted for that, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's, that's for me, that's that's one that's right up there. But, yeah, such a great list of, of matches. I'll never forget. So Elimination Chamber 2014, the, the Shield versus the Wyatt family. As I kind of said, it was Daniel Bryan that sort of drew me back into wrestling in 2014. But that Elimination Chamber was the first mm. pay-per-view I watched, well, watched i say as i illegally downloaded it because <laughs> this was before the wwe network had come to australia um and i had as i said i'd not watched wrestling so i didn't know either of these two teams and they faced off and the crowd was going mental and it looked awesome the promo was awesome and then the match was just insane and so different to anything i remembered ever happening previously when i'd been watching um this these three men on each side just going to war and becoming stars in front of my eyes uh and i don't know to me that was a hugely impactful match and i'm really stoked to see that that got the it kind of got on this list in number seven yeah there's uh i guess as you know, yeah, every ma- I guess the, the biggest surprise for me is AJ Styles versus Shinsuke Nakamura. Yeah. Especially knowing the NOP audience, that's, it kind of shocks me that it did make the list. Because it, it, like, like Kota Ibushi versus Roshi Tanahashi, it was a fantastic match. But in terms of like um, the cultural impact it had, I don't really feel like it was that massive. Maybe, um, maybe this proves me wrong here. But... Um, I, I could think of uh, maybe as we've brought them up, like a few more, even just in WWE, that could have easily made this list. Uh, but yeah, that's a maybe a shocker to me a little bit. That's like, oh, maybe there are quite a lot of fans of that match. <laughs> maybe it's better than I kind of remember it to be. But it's yeah, especially after their disappointing WrestleMania match, the fact that their original at Wrestle Kingdom makes this list probably tells you why us nerdy fans were excited for the WrestleMania match and <laughs> it's made the top 10 <laughs> which you look at the other New Japan matches to make this list maybe uh, maybe uh, give it a watch <laughs> if yeah a bit let down by I, the WrestleMania one it's in good company very good company and also I will shout out The Rock versus John Cena um, to me that is sports entertainment perfection um, that is the night I actually wrote about it on in my stories that defined a decade column. That is the night that the promise of WrestleMania, the glamour, the celebrity, the glitz, the pageantry, it was all fulfilled in that match. Um, and the two, you know, just absolute superstars. That's a that's a phrase that gets used a lot in WWE, but for The Rock versus John Cena, it actually is fitting. These two are superstars in the real the real meaning of that word. Um, and those two facing at WrestleMania 28 is, is to, in my mind, that is sports entertainment perfection. Um, another one. And, and also, it was great to have the NXT match, Gargano versus Ciampa, representing as well as Bailey versus Sasha Banks as a, sort of a nod to, you know, where the rise of NXT in the last half of the decade Oh, yes, yeah. Awesome list of matches. <laughs> yep, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Well, we will wrap it up 
there thank you very much for being with us just to wrap it up match of the decade the undertaker versus Shawn michaels wrestlemania 26 who will be the match of the decade for the 2020s who knows who knows what what awaits us well, i I've... <laughs> if going off anything it'll be okada naito from wrestle maybe it's already happened <laughs> <laughs> oh maybe it's already happened but thank you so much for joining us everyone who's listening it's been absolute pleasure um i and thank you to everyone who voted I love writing for LOP because I love the fan base. I love the people who who come in and jump in the comments. As I said, there will be um, a post on the Lords of Pain main page, which will have all of these results, and you can go in there. You can leave your comments, talk about who you voted for, what you thought of the people who voted, uh, and feel free to come at myself and Imp on, on social media. I'll let you do your plugs, Imp. So you can follow me on Twitter at the damn ThedamnImplicat. I am live every Thursday on LAP Radio with my uh, Ojo Imps LAP Radio adventure, just talking about the week of wrestling or whatever. This week, my internet died and didn't come back, and I was really worried. <laughs> I was like, I can't even contact Sam. Mobile data is not even working. <laughs> I managed to get through just to send him a message saying, just in case, yeah, it's not my fault. <laughs> just yeah. Uh, yeah, so that was a fun night last night, up till about 2am, just with no internet and no sign of it coming back. <laughs> it's like, how do you even notify somebody on the other side of the world that you can't do a show with them, possibly, if you don't have internet? Oh, that's crazy. So, yeah, no show this week. <laughs> but you can follow me. Uh, we are, I did, I'm also host of the Aftershock shows currently uh, on LOP Radio, so that's live after every single pay-per-view. Uh, the latest one was Wrestle Kingdom. I was joined by uh, Dynamite After Dark and Kingdom of Honours, Jamman and Jeff. Uh, so we did, we're live after both Wrestle Kingdom nights, so that's currently up as well. Yeah, every Saturday I post a column about the latest week in wrestling. So that's just everything. Like for, that's Monday Night Raw, NXT, AEW and SmackDown. I'll put like a 4,000 word column up every single Saturday on all of that, that stuff. Yes, I forced myself to watch that, so you don't all have to. <laughs> it's a, it's a, I take the bullet, essentially. It's a lot of wrestling to get through. Uh, and I think that might be it, unless I've got... I'm used to plugging like 20 million things, but I think that's... Is there anything else you do? <laughs> uh, I, as you know, I'm, I'm Sir Sam on the Lords of Pain main page. You can read my stuff uh, on there. I've been writing a series of stories that defined a decade, uh, so feel free to jump on and read those. I've put a lot of effort in those. They're really big reads. I'm not sure if I will continue the series for the moment. I'm still tossing up whether I continue it and or or whether I jump back in maybe in a month's time or so, just because they do take a while to write these things. And there's a lot of other things going on in Lords of Pain and in wrestling that I'd love to write about as well. So we'll see, keep your eyes peeled on the Lords of Pain main page for my work, uh, as you can come at me on Twitter, Sir underscore Samuel. But yeah, and, and this is my first LOP radio show. I don't have one to plug, but who knows, who knows what will happen down the line. How have I done here hosting him? Would you, would you have me back? You're in charge of the, the LOP radio recruits, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I might be soon. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm in charge of the main page now, so I can kick you off if you're not. <laughs> I can relieve you of your duties. <laughs> I would I would say yes. You're yeah. like, please do, please do. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I would say yes to Sir Sam being an oh, LOP radio kind, regular. Uh, but also I'm also saying that because I've offered for you to voice over for the YouTube stuff as well which I just remember to plug <laughs> LOP YouTube I'm putting work into that as well if you want to go at the Jump moment on. it's just a picture with LOP radio stuff but the plan is for more and 
that's partly why it was being kind to Sam. <laughs> so please do the voice work, Sam. <laughs> and and don't forget, of course, don't forget the all of the great shows we have on LOP Radio. There will be changes coming in the new year, which mm. is very exciting, nervous and exciting at the same time. Um, so don't forget to tune into those. But thank you very much for listening. It's been a pleasure. And I will see you next time. Adios. <laughs>